A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that knows that what killed the dinosaurs was the Ice Age. I'm Seb Patrick and joining me for a succession of pervy close-up shot suiting up sequences are... James Hunt. Ellen Waddell. Hi Ellen, welcome to the podcast. You are a first time guest. Uh, very happy to be here. Uh, you are a comedian and writer and director. You've done uh, stage shows, plays, films. Uh, you were in a band for quite a long time, which I have to try really hard not to massively fanboy out over because that's not <laughs> what this podcast is about. And uh, because, uh, well, and the thing that's most relevant for coming on this podcast is that you are a massive nerd and you run a comedy night slash now online show called Dear Harry slash Spock. Have I got it? That is that the right way around? Dear Harry Sashbot, yes, that is correct. Yes. Um, tell us all about what that is and how how that idea even came to you as a thing to do. Uh, so, Dear Harry Sashbot is a comedy fan fiction night, and it was basically inspired by uh, my sister finding like a load of old fan fiction she wrote when she was younger. She wrote Harry Potter fan fiction. Basically, it's like you know when you find your um, like you go on your parents' old computer. And you just find like poems you wrote and <laughs> <laughs> things like that. And um, she found Harry Potter fan fiction and My Chemical Romance fan fiction. And it was, um, God, it was like thousands and thousands of pages long. It was really popular when she hosted it online. And she basically wanted somewhere to read it out. And uh, there was no such night where you could read out your um, <laughs> terrible fan fiction you wrote when you were younger. Uh, so we basically just decided to start one and the night was born. And I think the thing is, she, the fan fiction she wrote, uh, she was like kind of proud of it, but it was really bad. So we wanted to keep that theme of like, just write some fan fiction about something you're passionate about, but make it tongue in cheek, do what you want with it. And people have taken that theme and run with it. So sometimes people do fan fiction about harry potter or star wars or star trek but sometimes people do like mashups like we've had the fast and the furious and his dark materials um someone did fan fiction about the birds at the bottom of their garden um uh what else have we had like thousands and thousands of things i did sweet valley high fan fiction and gilmore girls <laughs> uh, people have done songs someone did like a mini uh opera about Derek akora um like you do wow. um <laughs> it's been a lot of weird stuff uh we've had stuff about shakira so it's it's kind of yeah it's been a live show uh for the last couple of years and it's a podcast as well and yeah now since the coronavirus we've moved it online and just to raise money for charity and people have been doing little videos uh which has been absolutely brilliant who was it who did the um the harry potter piece about young dumbledore 
Oh, yeah, that was Pierre Novelli. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was in the audience for that one, and I don't think I've ever laughed so hard. <laughs> I was very glad to hear it turn upon the podcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one was amazing. It was uh, Dumbledore basically uh, in his younger years and how Hank, like, it was like how Hagrid ended up as the um, the gate, what's he called? The the keeper, the groundskeeper. The groundskeeper yeah. <laughs> uh, but then also how Argus Filch ended up being the janitor and <laughs> just Dumbledore's like this evil, young, sort of masochistic headmaster who <laughs> realises that like, you can just use magic to clean up this huge old, you know, school, but he just likes you know torturing Argus Filch and stuff it's yeah it's really really good and I think I think comedians sort of uh they really enjoy the nights because uh the audiences like uh like you guys um they're great and it's really supportive and it's very different to comedy nights as well where sometimes people are on your side sometimes people look at you and go make me laugh bitch you know um (laughs) they're they're sort of like there's a, a real warmth to everyone and everyone's like like something way too much and that's kind of the theme of it is like yeah have some fun with whatever you're a huge fan of do do many people ever turn up like with something that actually they genuinely had written years and years ago or is it is it predominantly people write it afresh or do you find that people are uncovering the old things that they did like your sister did um someone found some russell brand fan fiction they wrote ages and ages ago um which was really really funny and very, very weird. Um, and it was one of those things you write. I think when you write anything when you're younger and it's like you're really excited about sex, but you're not too sure what happens. <laughs> so there's a lot of like sexual tension and build up. And then the sex is kind of like, and then they had sex. Uh, and it's not as descriptive. Um, yeah, so there's been that. But mostly it's been sort of like fresh and new stuff. Yeah. Which feels a little bit like a, a Joel Schumacher Batman film, in fact. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Good segue. Good segue. So obviously, so guests on this podcast generally tend to fall into one of two camps. They tend to be uh, either film people who don't know so much about the comics, who, you know, we kind of explain about the comics behind the films. You you are a, a fairly big comics reader. What's your kind of background? How did you sort of get into comics and stuff generally? Um, again, I'm going to blame this on my sister. She, um, she was getting sort of like... Uh, uh, Joanne Vasquez comics so like Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and Squee and she was like oh you'll really enjoy these and I started reading them and they're so weird and so horrible uh, but like so beautiful and wonderful and uh, I think my brain went oh my god it's like a film and a book in one it's like a film you read um, and I was sort of just absolutely hooked from there and I did all the classics you know like Sandman and Preacher um, and then I just started like moving on to uh different kinds of comic books oh yeah i think scott pilgrim as well and um yeah and then i just got deeply obsessed with them and now spend way too much money on comic books because it's <laughs> such an expensive hobby to have a deliciously expensive hobby yeah, yeah. um <laughs> the one yeah. that might be completely unsustainable when things actually get back to normal it's, uh, yeah. yeah i think comics is one of the things that's most under threat and i think for a lot of people it's a bit like Ah, right, this is how I get free of it, then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of old comics out there, out there which is well, there are discovering yes. I mean, I've, <laughs> on eBay. I mean, I, I, I've seen how much James has been spending on old and canny X-Men issues on eBay, so oh, that's, wow. that's not making the, the habit any cheaper. But I, I kind of feel like with comic books, they're just, they're just my most... If I'm sad, I read a comic book. You know, They're just the best, easiest form of escapism. 
And my favorite thing about them is like, although it can be expensive if you go, I need to get like all of Invincible, which is, you know, thousands <laughs> of pounds. Um, you, you read it, you read it really quickly or you, you like, you buy one, you read it, then you wait to the next one. Then you forgot what happened to the last one. So you reread the last one, you read the next one, then you wait six months, then you reread it all over again. It's just, <laughs> you can just keep picking them up and keep sort of enjoying them. And I find um, with my writing, reading comic books has made me a much better writer because they're just so well written and sparsely written and they have to say so much with such little space. And mm-hmm. I think comic book writers are just some of the most underappreciated best writers, really. Yeah, absolutely. Some of them, anyway. Since <laughs> <laughs> um, you said Joan Vasquez, I think... I think- like Johnny Homicidal Maniac is one of those that maybe doesn't get enough credit for being mm. like you know there are some comics mm. that are like a lot of people's first comic like Sandman and Scott Pilgrim and stuff yeah I think that's true for Joan Vasquez for yeah a lot certainly of people, pre I pre Scott Pilgrim like, that was huge I remember yeah. like yeah because I you know I was a comics nerd before it was that. cool it, it was yeah <laughs> yeah before it was cool like it's really cool now yeah <laughs> in the um in the nineties it was the X Men cartoon that got me into it and then. Mm. Because people knew I was like the comics nerd, they were all bringing their copies of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac to me and being like, "Where can I find more like this?" And I was like, ah, "It's tough because there's not <laughs> much that's that good." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I because I, I remember then moving on to like watch Invader Zim and just absolutely <laughs> loving that. And occasionally to make myself happy, I sort of look at like compilations of um, Gur, the little dog weird <laughs> alien he has, just being weird. And um, every time I date someone, that seems to be my thing when I'm just like testing how cool they are. I'm like, oh, look at this compilation of this like weird alien thing. It's really funny. And they're either like, okay, or they're like, um, what? Um, yeah, because he's so, yeah, he's he's one of those people who is really good, but like you said, not really as well spoke, like not as renowned now as other mm. people. I think. Yeah, I think well, he quit, didn't he? He quit to go and do animation, mm. and has just been tied up doing animation for so long it takes so long to get stuff out that his name sort yeah. of dropped and out of the conversation actual money in that so well, <laughs> yeah he did the in, the invader zim uh movie that was on netflix in it came out last september i think yeah i haven't was, watched it because i'm worried it's, good. I, it's, it's very it's good. good okay yeah i was worried that it would be bad and that it would destroy retro retroactively destroy my uh <laughs> enjoyment but it's not it's as good as the series ever was Okay, great. Okay, because you, you know when you love that. something and you're scared. Yeah, <laughs> I, I worried about that with the because they did a, they did similar with they did a Rocco's Modern Life one mm. that I think is on Netflix. Yeah, it came out at the like, same time. Uh, what's that going to be like in the present day? But apparently it is quite good and very <laughs> sensitive. So yeah, give that a look. Um, but you know, speaking of cartoons, and mm. I'm segueing again. We are we are going to discuss Joel Schumacher's 1997 film Batman and Robin. It is it is a heck of a film for a first time guest to come on and cover. <laughs> I think it's one of those that we've been we've been counting down to doing. So we we are going to do that. But before any of that, which this feels weird to do this bit after we've had a, a longer intro section. But question that we always ask to mm. to guests is: Do they have anything about comics? that they've just never really understood, Mm. whether it's about a character, about something to do with comics, something that could be relevant to Batman and Robin, anything that you just don't understand that that me and James might be able to to help explain, whether whether through our knowledge or very quickly, quietly Googling. Um, Yeah, so uh, this is uh, relevant to the film. Um, It's more of a... You might have some evidence for this, maybe it's a philosophical question, but why does anyone choose to defend or live in gotham like what is so redeemable and amazing about gotham 
that people fight for it because it seems like <laughs> people are very loyal to it and mm. it, it's a shithole. <laughs> I mean, there was, full of there, crime. Was that one, there was that one story, uh, No Man's Land, wasn't there, where they basically, yeah. there was an earthquake and they... Gotham got so destroyed they just sort of fenced off and went. Nah, let's the not government literally just went. Yeah, yeah. we're just wow. shutting off Gotham. And it was like it was about a year or more of like all the Batman mm. comics were. And there's actually there's really good. It was a bit of a mess overall, but there's really good stuff in there because it was around the time that um, Greg Rucker and Ed Brubaker were on the Batman titles. Oh, and criminal so was like, guys! I think it was before they did Gotham Central, maybe, but mm. like was you know sort of they were working their way up to that. So there was lots of interesting stuff being done with like ordinary people in Gotham and the cops and stuff like that. And I think that that probably is one of the places where you'd see. I think it's just it's probably like an identity thing, and mm. I think you get similar. In we were just talking off off mic before before the podcast started about the series Hitman, the, the Garth Ennis series, which is set in Gotham, and which is about a load of people who live in the Cauldron, which is basically the Hell's Kitchen yeah. of, of Gotham City. <laughs> um, and and again, it's just like well. They're from there, so you know the reason why they have an attachment to Gotham and they yeah. don't just clear off and go somewhere else is they're from there. It's their place. They they feel like they kind of want to you know well I say stay and make it better. It's about a group of people who are all <laughs> men, but you know yeah um, yeah. And I think maybe I I I've got to say I don't know why anyone would ever choose to go there like yeah, <laughs> from any other of the DC cities because it or... can't all be people who are like born and raised in Gotham. Mm. <laughs> It's like people must move there for reasons because I guess the only reason you move there is like to take it over, to do do some sort of like fraudulent mobster behaviour, to work at Arkham, um, yeah. join the police force. I don't think anyone goes, oh, we're going to like, uh, we got married, have a couple of kids, let's move to Gotham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can be schools. a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> It's got I some mean, great schools. I mean, cheap. Maybe it's really cheap. I was just, yeah, I think probably the property is really cheap as a result of yeah everything. Although the insu- but conversely, insurance must be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, um, you, you wouldn't know. spend any money because you wouldn't leave the house that often because of yeah, all the you wouldn't, you wouldn't crime. want to go to the to the theatre, for example. No, it's like, no. like why why did they take a shortcut through Crime Alley? Yeah, like really, you're just the you. You're bringing up jokes from Teen Titans Go to the Movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got um, uh, Nicole Kidman's character in Batman Forever. What's her, what's her name? Chase Chase Meridian. Is she a she psychologist moves there basically or because she's yeah she's like she's a psychologist, but she's obsessed with Batman basically. She moves there to study Batman. Mm. That's about the only example I can think of of a of a supposedly normal person actually choosing to go and live in Gotham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, and it's I, also because it's it's really near to Metropolis, like yeah. geographically, like they are. Well, I mean, the thing isn't it um, in Batman v Superman, like they're literally like across a river from each other. But I think they're sort of. I think Metropolis is meant to be in Delaware, and Gotham's meant to be in New Jersey. I think maybe so. They're they're relatively close, and it's like, well, if you're going to move to one of the big, surely you would go to Metropolis. It's like if you go to Metropolis, you know that if you fall off a building or if you're in yeah. a crashing helicopter, you've got a relatively good chance of being saved. But yeah, and there's sort of like more of a brightness there, whereas Gotham seems to be perpetually mm. kind of um, dusk. It's always dusk, yeah. and it's always raining. Maybe goths like to move there. I mean, again, like um, the the Anton First Gotham of the Tim Burton films. I mm. can imagine a lot of people who are into a certain aesthetic going, "Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to go and get me one of those big 
towering, you know. Yeah, who's like, I'm kind yeah. of into steampunk stuff, Art Deco stuff. Yeah. I'm a little bit. Do you know what? It's probably a lot of sort of hipster types moving to Gotham. Yeah. Gentrifying <laughs> the area. Yeah. Lots of abandoned warehouses. It's good for Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I want to see. I want to see sort of like a hipster yeah. Gotham where it's just like an area of Gotham just slowly being gentrified <laughs> by a bunch criminals, of artists. Criminals looking for warehouses because the hipsters have set a bar communes in them. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like it turning into a bit Berlin-style area. <laughs> That'd be good. I, I I would like to see this story told. Because, yeah, I mean, I just like... And, and like from a cause sort of trying to answer the question sincerely point of view I, I can't remember a comic that's that's looked at it from that sense mm. like it, I've, I've definitely seen comics set in Gotham that have sort of tried to look at what it's like to live there from the perspective of ordinary people obviously and the yeah. whole thing of being in the city of Batman and the city where all this craziness goes on but yeah never that question of why are you there in the first yeah. place and even if you grew up there I just why like pain <laughs> I hate myself so I've moved to Gotham <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if you if you if you like like fluorescent paint, then I think the the Joel Schumacher Gotham. Oh yeah, of appeal. Where you just just like you can just find abandoned buildings that are just completely covered in <laughs> great swathes of fluorescent paint. Yeah. Um, does that give us yet another nice segue to actually go on and Perfect. and talk about this this utter classic of a movie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. Okay. So we will we'll listen play in the one of the trailers for the film and then when we come back we'll we'll talk about this thing that I'm sure there are lots of opinions on. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My name is Freeze. Learn it well. Chilling sound of your doom. This is the way the world could end. Please show some mercy. With ice. With a kiss. With venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm poison. Poison ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. Batman. 
Hoffman will watch his beloved Gotham perish. Bundle up, boys. There's a storm coming. Kill the heroes! It's the hockey team from hell! Cool party! Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right, everyone, chill. George Clooney. Julia, I'm not the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't doesn't quite cover it. Chris O'Donnell. I want a car. Chicks dig the car. This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about Batperson? Found the Batcave. She knows who we are. Guess we just have to kill her. Yep. In Joel Schumacher film. Strength. And courage. Partners. Honor. Partners. And loyalty. Partners. It all comes together. We're going to need a bigger cave. Batman and Robin. Okay, so that was a trailer for uh, Batman and Robin, which uh, around about the time that those trailers were coming out would have been, you know, certainly the hugely anticipated comic book movie of the summer. It was coming off the back of Batman Forever, which, you know, had obviously had its problems and had moved the series into a cartoonier direction, although, you know, I still think the Tim Burton films are very cartoony, just in a, in a different way. Um, but, you know, it had been a massive success. Uh, then you have Batman and Robin, which kind of builds on the success of that, builds on the fact that they introduced Robin so successfully, uh, you know, that that had been an element of the film that people wanted to see more of. Uh, we don't have Val Kilmer this time. We have George Clooney off the back of his success in ER. Uh, we've got Arnie as, you know, yet another one of these examples of comic book movies where the uh, the villain actually gets... Um, Billing above the lead actor playing the superhero. Uh, Uma Thurman, who's absolutely massive at that point as well. All the ingredients are there for this to be this absolutely enormous success. And it manages to be both a critical and commercial complete and total disaster. Um, it's definitely like... Certainly up until... I mean, it's weird to think that there's only, like, three years between this and X-Men and, like, five years between this and oh Spider-Man. Oh, God. Because um, definitely in that time and when those Marvel films were kicking off and obviously even, you know, like, way before Iron Man, there was definitely a sense of, you know, that was everything that was wrong with comic book movies and everything that we have to move away from. And then, obviously, Batman Begins comes along in 2005, which, again, you know, we are way further away from Batman Begins than Batman Begins was from this coming out. It was only, like, eight years later. But this film definitely was, like, everything that... that was wrong with comic book movies at their worst in the 90s and, and was routinely held up as the worst superhero comic book movie ever. Um, I think we've had worse than this since. Mm. And I think, retrospectively, I mean, this is a terrible, terrible film. But is it the worst comic book movie ever? No. <laughs> <laughs> Settled. <laughs> no, that's X-Men 3. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was going through before with James films that we covered that are that are worse than this, and I definitely, 
I mean, Howard the Duck, I mean, you know, for all that you can enjoy about <laughs> Howard the Duck, it's a worse film. <laughs> Superman 4 is a worse film, but I'd rather watch it. I, I think X-Men, I think X-Men 3, you could be right. I think X-Men 3 is maybe worse than this. I think it's because... So, my my observation of this film from the start was every line in it is a gag for, like, the first <laughs> 20 minutes. It's just joke, bad joke after bad joke after bad joke. And that's that's basically the first 20 minutes of the film, which is really weird because... Mm. There's just there's nothing to be like I don't know there's just nothing to like set you into that world it's just kind of um I don't yeah. you know, Robin says something about like oh girls and I don't know <laughs> it's I don't literally know. like the the first line of the film is I want a car yeah and that was like, it chicks dig the car and that's literally just a repeat of a joke from the previous film mm. <laughs> they're like it, it, it tested very well let's just say it again <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they um. When they finally get around to to bringing Alicia Silverstone into the movie, I remember thinking like, "Oh, it's like the movie has begun now." After like yeah, yeah twenty minutes of fighting and jokes, it's mm. like, "Oh, they've remembered there's a story involved in this." Although I kind of wish they hadn't, but well. <laughs> it's just one of the biggest problems. But I think I mean, that, that, yeah, that point about like like every line is a joke. Although I would <laughs> an probably attempted put joke. joke. Yeah, yeah I yeah. put joke in inverted commas because it's like. <laughs> All of the lines have like the structure and cadence of being jokes. Yeah. It's like they're written and performed as if they're jokes. Yeah. But they're not actually jokes. <laughs> like and it's not just that they're not funny. Like there's a difference between like I can see that that's a joke and it's yeah. not funny. It's like no, you haven't actually written the joke part of this. You've yeah, kind of yeah. thought of your your vague kind of and you just you go through some of the lines and it is it is just like it is obviously trying to be a comedy because Batman Forever had been relatively successful at being a kind of action comedy like it was it was a Batman film and it it still felt in places like the films that had come before Mm. but they'd thrown in Jim Carrey they'd they'd kind of had the lightheartedness and the gags they'd had that bit near the end where Robin goes holy rusted metal Batman and you're like ah Batman 66 and you know and this (laughs) is just basically scream that (laughs) in the cinema (laughs) finally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this this film is just basically trying to be a, a modern, as was then, like, new version of Batman 66. It's mm. trying to be funny. It's trying to be like... I don't think it's trying to be a parody. It's not like a kind of a parody of Batman, but it is just basically meant to be jokes. But but it's not funny and that's like and i think the i think people when people were so angry about this film like comic book mm. nerds on the internet particularly were angry about this film for years afterwards and i think they were angry for the wrong reason because they were angry that it was trying to be a comedy yeah and there's nothing wrong with that because thor ragnarok yeah, like, yeah. it's a is a brilliant film that is a comedy that takes the piss out of its lead character at times but is a fa- is funny and is also a great action comic book superhero film this is if this succeeded at being funny if you Mm. and i said this on twitter but if you if you just went and took every line of dialogue and rewrote basically every now i know admittedly that's not a small change to make (laughs) a film but if you rewrote every line of dialogue in this film rewrite every line of dialogue (laughs) i mean don't don't change the plot even though the plot is terrible and ridiculous like you could have the plot if you had funny jokes around it, if you just took all of these attempts at jokes and just gave them another pass and made them yeah. funny, I, I think I, this would be much more funly looked back on. I, I also kind of feel like 
you have to earn the right to make jokes with the characters. Mm. Like there has to be a reason for us to even care about them or give a shit about them. And <laughs> they're just there just wasn't at all. Like um, mm. with Mr. Freeze. Uh, after his fifth like ice pun, um, I was just like, "Who is this for?" <laughs> no, sometimes really, people can't even hear you. You and... start to question how genuine his grief is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and also, I was like, "Is a side effect of his accident that he can't not make ice puns all the time?" <laughs> just how he copes. Just how he copes. <laughs> um, so th- I think I think that was like after there must have been about. 30 to 40 um hell freezing over hey chill like there was just so many of them um that was like a common thread for it and another common thread was people falling into vats of things everyone yeah. kept falling into vats of stuff like uh i think robin falls into a vat of ice cream at one point uh, in mr freezer's lair <laughs> then he falls into a pond uh, at ivy's lair which mm-hmm. and he has a yeah. fight with like some plants and he can't seem to that he's kind of defeated by them <laughs> yeah, he's and then up. yeah and then at the beginning he gets dipped into uh, a vat of hot water because he's been frozen um oh yeah <laughs> so there's that but also like batman and robin are not very good in this film. They don't no. do that. They're, they're really bad at fighting. They're really bad at planning anything. They put people's <laughs> lives in danger and they have a bad working relationship. So. They really do. There is, there's something that I, that I noticed about this that I, I, I kind of, I, I, I was going to, I realised it partway through and then it was then like, right, I'm going to watch out for this and try and observe it for the rest mm. of the film. And I think it is true, unless there's an example that I kind of missed later on when admittedly like my attention was really starting to... <laughs> wayne because man this film just like you know saps your brain yeah but i think this is the only film in the burton schumacher batman sequence mm. where batman does not murder anybody oh <laughs> because interesting both the villains survive well all three if you count bane because bane just gets shrunk back into his scrawny little form both yeah. the villains survive and there aren't any scenes where Batman is driving the Batmobile and shooting guns and bombs out of the Batmobile at random yeah. I don't think he kills anybody. Except for the fact that at the very start of the film, he has a really good attempt at killing Robin. Which is when he <laughs> yeah. disables Robin's bike when he's about to go over yeah. like, an incredibly high up thing. And that's the other thing, is that <laughs> while this is the only one of these films where Batman doesn't kill anyone... It's also the film where Batman is the baddie. Yeah. Because everyone in this film, like, has a criticism to make of Batman. Yeah. That is entirely valid. Like, yeah. at the start of the film, like, Dick is being a dick. And there is that line. I think there's like, I think it's like say, the don't one be, good joke don't... in the film. Yeah, you're yeah. a dick, or don't be, hey, yeah. Dick. Whatever. Exactly. Like he says his name, but says his name as an insult, and it's yeah. like, okay, you you get one of those. You can you can have one of those examples. <laughs> but like Dick is just being kind of a brat, but also with a completely valid point, which is yeah. that I'm supposed to be your sidekick. I'm a kid, basically. I mean, I know Chris O'Donnell's about thirty, but he's playing like a sixteen-year-old. <laughs> is he eighteen? But yeah, yeah, he's probably he's probably like meant to just about be like legally adult. But but definitely when he first adopts him in Batman Forever, he's he's definitely meant to be like much younger than he is. But anyway, so he's like, you know, I am I am your inexperienced partner. You are asking me to come out and risk my life mm. with you against these criminals every night, but you don't actually trust me. And if you don't trust me, then I will probably die at some point. You know, that's that's yeah. a valid criticism. Um Batgirl shows up and well, you know, when she's Barbara before she's Batgirl. 
makes the entirely valid criticism that Bruce has spent his entire life being waited on hand and foot by Alfred. And obviously Alfred, you know, that makes Alfred happy. That's what Alfred wants to do. But I still think it's kind of valid and is a, is a good criticism mm. of the fact that, that Bruce is this sheltered billionaire. Um, and Pamela Isley, when she comes to, to Bruce and says, look, here's a way that you can like not kill the planet with fossil fuels. And Bruce is like, but we need diesel for heating. Yeah, we and- must have fossil fuels. <laughs> and he barely reads, like she hands him this yeah. huge document. She's obviously spent hours, maybe weeks working on. And he yeah. barely reads it. He reads the first page and he goes, no, fuck you. And it's- <laughs> I mean, he is he, at that point, he is Donald Trump to yeah. any woman who has ever attempted to present an argument to Donald Trump. Also, um, there is a point where they have, uh, they want to trap Mr. Freeze or lure him in with a diamond, which they're auctioning off at a mm. special event. And they haven't told the police about this plan. And they're appearing as Batman and Robin and they haven't set up any, like they've, they've got no plan. They're just like, we'll lure him mm. here we'll and he can, him in and then he'll, he'll, he'll freeze everyone, yeah. but we'll catch him. And they're like, yes. you're, you're basically going to endanger people's lives. But yeah, so there's so many points where he is pretty awful. And also with Alfred, like Alfred still wears a little like penguin suit. And, <laughs> and there's so many points where you go, Alfred is basically... Like, he's got so many side hustles. He does loads of, like, algorithms. At one point, he says something about having a a brain algorithm, meaning Barbara can access all the Batcave stuff. But he's also made her a suit. But he's also made, like, dinner for um, (laughs) Elle McPherson and George Clooney as well. (laughs) And it's just, yeah, there's so many bits where you just go, come on, like, you can afford more staff. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no no wonder Alfred's sick. Yeah, he's dying of McGregor's syndrome. You know, stage one. We all know how serious that is. <laughs> Terrible disease. It's not quite as bad as stage two, but it's No, stage one, you bad. lie in bed and apparently yeah. you don't go to hospital. <laughs> I mean, actually, though, right, so if... Because, yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? That, like, because at the end that's, of the that's film... That's the drive Freeze of the film, is Alfred being... Yeah, but well, it is. It's, it's, it's the only... He's the only heart of, like, these later films, mm. really. But it is a bit weird that there is this syndrome that has, like, a stage one and a stage two. But Alfred's got stage one, and he's going to die. Mm. But Freeze's wife has stage two, and he can't... Because the whole point is that Freeze can't cure her, but he can cure Alfred. Mm. But if... How did... How do you get to stage two if stage one kills you? Yeah, very true. Very true. It's almost like... It's a made-up disease. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that's not the biggest logical problem with a film where you can redirect the sun with satellites to make it daylight when it's night. And also, the biggest problem this film is the fact that someone decided that um, uh, Barbara went to school in Oxbridge. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Oxbridge Academy. The Oxbridge Academy. And... I said to my partner watching in I London. Went, yeah, I went, do you think they just don't realise what Oxbridge is and forgot mm. or do you think there was a placeholder? Uh, and we agreed that they probably just didn't realise that Oxbridge isn't a proper place. Yeah. And I have several thoughts about this. Um but I feel like they said, Oh, she went to Oxbridge because she's smart enough to like rearrange um all the satellites. Um, as well as know how to use all like Batman's kit without any training. And I was like, oh, it's fine. She went to Oxbridge. Remember <laughs> that? Oxbridge. Yeah. 
which apparently is but, a school for smart people. So. But it is in London because she says she learned karate because London's pretty rough. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is a line of dialogue. Either that or she's just really used to getting it's the Oxford full of ninjas, to London, full of ninjas, which, you know, me and James are very familiar with. But, How uh, old is she meant to be? Do we think she's wearing a schoolgirl's outfit? She's wearing but, a sh- yeah, yeah. But we she's also wearing a school s- uniform. But we see a close-up of her tits, like in yeah. the in the costume. So I was like, wait, she's a schoolgirl. Do we need the close-up of her in the like the very <laughs> gratuitous shot of like bat boobs? I mean, they only did that because they'd done it with the. It was like it, again, it's like it was a joke in Batman Forever yeah. that people went, "Oh, that's quite funny," because you've done the classic suit up thing, but oh, then you had a quick shot of his ass. That's yeah. quite funny. I mean, it's not that funny, but you know, yeah, by comparison. And then so in this, they were like, "Okay, so at the start of the film, we're going to do it with both of them, so we're going to get both their asses and both their crotches and their chests, and that means that when we bring Alicia Silverstone in later, we're allowed to we do it to her." The, yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, just a bit... it does. It takes on a worryingly yeah. creepy dimension when you point out, <laughs> yeah, she did turn up in a school uniform, so she is like sixteen to eighteen, probably. Yeah, yeah. Not she's not old great. enough for Dick to be interested in her, but young enough that her school still has a uniform. You know, yeah. my my head canon is. That that Oxbridge is the um, the like DC Universe version of Oxford and Cambridge. It's, it yeah. sits between Oxford and Cambridge the same way Gotham sits between like New York and Chicago. Yeah. I th- but, I but think Oxford and Cambridge do still exist as well. Yeah, yeah. DC's definitely got that. I, yeah. I just, I also think the people who wrote it do not know that. No, absolutely not. not. Yeah. <laughs> no chance. I mean, you say this, you are, you are talking about Oscar award-winning screenwriter Akiva Goldsman. I didn't look up who wrote it. Tell, tell me about their um, oeuvre. Um, he, he, he wrote A Beautiful Mind. What? So he's he not he won a Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay winning film. Wow. And he also wrote Batman and Robin. And he also wrote I Am Ro- uh, I Robot and I Am Legend. Oh, dear. And well, the, um, the Terrible better, Dark Tower right? film as well. Which one? Sorry? <laughs> Uh, the Dark Tower, the recent Dark Tower film, uh, okay. the, the one that he, everyone ignored because it wasn't very good. The he has one. his name on yeah. so many things, and so much mm. of them are absolutely awful. He wrote uh, <laughs> one of the recent Transformers movies. I think it was Transformers. He wrote. He he four? was. He got. Five? He's got a story credit on the last night. Five. The last is. night. Yeah. 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 Well. Um, well, I bet he was young. Oh, I'm lost in it. space. <laughs> Do you remember um, uh, the the Matt LeBlanc Lost in Space? I loved that film, but that's probably because I had a weird crush on Gary Oldman. I don't know why. <laughs> strange, strange teenage girl. Before or after he turned into a spider? Um, uh, before and then maybe after as well. <laughs> no. Before. There's one for for Harry Spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Oldman in Lost in Space fanfic. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's. I mean, I, th- I think this. I do think this. The this film script is an example of someone trying to like deliberately be aggressively stupid, like mm. for comic effect. Like my my feeling over the Oxbridge line is that I don't think that is someone who doesn't know what Oxbridge is. I think it's someone who knows exactly what Oxbridge is and thinks it'll be funny. So in much the same way as when you have lines like, well, the the one I quoted at the start, the what killed the dinosaurs, the Ice Age. <laughs> I loved it. Who thinks the Ice Age killed the dinosaurs? Yeah. And when Poison Ivy says it took God seven days to create paradise, mm. it's like, well, number one, no, it didn't. It was the Earth. And number two, it was six. It was quite famously six <laughs> yeah. days because that's why Sundays She didn't go exist. to Oxbridge, okay? <laughs> no, but she, she is was a, a she doctor. She's got a PhD. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah. she's Doctor true. Pamela Isley um, with I, her incredibly well prepared notes. I liked how um, you knew that she was smart because uh, she had that like frumpy sort of nineties makeover, <laughs> which was like. Yeah. Uh, glasses, sort of limp brown hair, and a knotted hanky on her head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, yeah, I think I think my favourite thing is that when she first comes to Gotham City mm. as Poison Ivy, she disguises herself as Pamela Isley, yeah. even though nobody in Gotham <laughs> knows yeah. what either Poison Ivy or Pamela Isley look like. Yeah. And you have a scene where she's in the car putting on her wig so that no one will recognise her as Poison Ivy, who has yeah. not yet made a public appearance. I guess she wanted to, um, like, de-sexify herself. Um, so... <laughs> so people would take her seriously. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> as a scientist. Yeah, which lasts for all of five minutes. I mean, her um, when she introduced herself as Poison Ivy, it's like the most aggressively horny introduction that oh any character God. has ever had. Where she's Do you mean like, with the dancing uh, monkey suit she wears? Where she, yeah. <laughs> she takes it off. <laughs> yeah, that, that bit specifically. <laughs> Oh, it made me feel really, like, not uncomfortable, but I think uh, if I saw that scene in the cinema, which I I must have done with my parents, like, it's really, like, it's aggressively sexual, isn't it? Like where she's, like, walking over the backs. She's walking over the backs of, like, naked Chippendale-style dancers. Yeah. (laughs) And you're just like, really? everyone's just like, oh, my God. And (laughs) And I do like how that comes in a scene where you have a room full of people cheering for prostitution because yes! you have this auction where these <laughs> these women are being like auctioned off and then she's like yes you'll you'll get to spend an evening with me and they're all like yes i'll bid two million dollars and everyone's like yeah and it's like this is really weird all the rich people in gotham it's for charity yeah, sev come on <laughs> i i think though that was um that's definitely used to be a thing though didn't it like uh you could buy an evening with a lady uh, yeah, it's, it's like part like of a charity bachelor auction. auctions and bachelorette auctions. Because yeah, I've I've only ever seen it in like films and TV shows. Like it's in, in the like Simpsons, Arrested isn't Development. it? It's in that Simpsons episode. And in the Simpsons, yeah. obviously Groundhog Day. It's like mm. it's it's obviously a thing. But like, I mean, I guess it's slightly less creepy when it's a bachelor auction. But it's still weird. It's it's still a weird and creepy thing. Yeah, I don't think um, men come off very well in this uh, at all. Because no. because uh, <laughs> with Poison Ivy. I felt like what she was doing was completely justified because firstly, a man who she worked with tried to kill her. Then Mm. because she's kind of sexy, like she's just manipulating men basically to do a Mm. bidding and they're all a bit like, ooh. And and then Mr. Freeze essentially ends up in a spoiler like prison cell with her at the end and is probably going to do something horrible to her. Mm. Even though arguably he's killed more people than her and we're meant to be happy about it. So and they let him have his suit at the like yeah. when he's in Arkham at the end. It's like, oh yeah, we'll let you have your freezing suit that you previously used to escape from here. Mm. And it's like, I know he's like he's helped Batman at the end, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's just suddenly like because if if he's still bad enough for them to put him in Arkham, <laughs> yeah, like you know, and he still killed like a lot of people comparatively yeah. to her. So I do you know I I was sort of on Poison Ivy's side quite a bit. Mm. I was like, you know, you've had a hard time of it, and you just want to save the planet. Sure, you want to kill everyone whilst you're doing it. <laughs> I mean, she has the she has the '90s ecolo- like eco warrior thing going on that was mm. quite popular. Um, mm. And the points she makes are broadly valid. Like, yeah, capitalism shouldn't be destroying the planet. Like in yeah. that sense, the, she was but- well ahead of the game. 
Yeah, but that's the thing. The, the film's never on her side with that. that no, scene, exactly, that scene exactly. Where she goes to the hero of the film and says, you're wrong to be killing the planet. And he goes, no, people <laughs> goes, are more no, I'm not. Yeah. I just imagine trying to put that in a film now. That would, yeah. Would yeah. Just be imagine someone going up to Iron Man and being like, you have to stop destroying the planet. And he would probably be like, hey, we're working <laughs> on it. Not, <laughs> not leave, please. Yeah. I do. You, you mentioned uh, the the man who tries to kill Poison Ivy. Um, John Glover's like two scenes or whatever he has. I think is one of my favourite things about the film. I think he's pretty much the only person in it who gets the tone right. Oh, he's so and hammy, isn't he? Yeah, but I, I love John Glover anyway, and I just think he's sort of um, yeah. I think uh, he seems to understand what the film's going for better than the film does. And I think if, if everyone had the same gusto that he does... Yeah, because um, is he talking... Because at the beginning, he's sort of putting that um, super soldier serum, yeah. um, <laughs> which is what he calls it, um, into B- uh, Bane, who I did yeah. not... Re- I'd like Obviously, when I watched it when I was younger, re-watching it, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's the same that's character. Bane. Um, and he's talking to the ununited nations, and then it has that very xenophobic <laughs> shot of, like, all yeah. people from... Um, they look like fancy dress characters from like the yeah. worst countries. So they've got oh, like God. Fidel Castro, fancy dress man. Um, they look like they're out of a Street Fighter game. Just... Yeah, <laughs> it's it's quite offensive now. Um, yeah, but uh, you're like, oh, the nineties, you Delph racists. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he he was great. But I did completely forget about uh, Bane appearing in this. It's easy to forget because he doesn't do a lot, does he? He shouts Bane and bombs a couple of times. Exit. (laughs) I do kind of... There is a weird sort of, like... There are some ways in which this version of Bane (laughs) is closer to the comics than the Tom Hardy version. Yeah. Like, with the Tom Hardy version, what they had was the... Here's someone who was a child in a prison and grew up in a prison and it turned them into this monster. But everything after that, like... Is not really a record other than the bit where he breaks Batman's back. It's not really a recognizable like Bane from the comics. Mm. This obviously he does not have a character or any personality, and Bane is a quite interesting character in the comics, and they just chose to completely ignore that for this. But like aesthetically, they they dial everything up and they mm. make the tubes enormous and ridiculous yeah. and have the big button on his chest that you press to make him go. Rah! Yeah. But like he's got the mask and stuff, and it's like he does actually look like Bane, and he is a guy who is super strong because he has the venom stuff in yeah. him. Which again, the film the film had the whole oh it's a pain it's a pain gas thing. Uh, the the film like this isn't a film. I mean, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's, you know, I mean, it's it's bizarre because, again, this is only like a few years after Bane had been introduced in the comics. And they've obviously gone, they've obviously like flicked through a yeah. pile of comics or a pile of drawings and gone, who can we use who can be this big henchman? Oh, he looks big and muscly. Let's throw him in. But I do, I remember at the time, like as a, as a kid who was a fan of the comics and had read Nightfall and had read the stuff with Bane in, I was like... This is so weird that they're doing him already because I was used to you know the films like these films generally only cover characters who've been in the Adam West TV series. Yeah, that's basically what they're all about. And this one, all of a sudden, is like, oh, here's the guy who they only created like three it years. It is ago. a bit like when they checked Venom into Spider-Man Three, isn't it? When they were just like, well, people want to Toe see for Venom. Grace. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, they were they were sticking quite faithfully to like the Lee Ditko stuff and then 
Sam Raimi wasn't yeah. interested in Venom, but they they went well. People like Venom. Well, the kids like Venom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Um, yeah. There was there was something I found quite interesting uh, about Freeze's storyline, which was mainly the logistics of his wife having that terrible McGregor syndrome, um, mm. and him freezing. I guess like her being in a tank of floaty water, but also she went into a coma but somewhere between her like being in a coma or whatever and being in a hospital he put her in a really nice like revealing evening dress <laughs> and Maybe then he stuck her in a party <laughs> and she and collapsed when yeah she collapsed. that makes sense yeah because yeah. <laughs> that's it would be really funny if she was in like hospital gowns in there or something <laughs> but she just she looks great i mean well done her um she's you know i think it's impressive she's... that he keeps going in and touching up the makeup you know because yeah, yeah, in, yeah. That, in that fluid yeah, yeah. you know you'd think it would all yeah it'd be going everywhere <laughs> Where her dress would probably disintegrate. I don't know. She would have gone quite pruney, but she's just sort of like all ethereal and I don't know. <laughs> so that was a, that was a, a thought of like what? And you, you know how you you don't pick holes in films unless the films are so stupid or there's you, there's too much time to think about the plot holes or yeah. like the the weird things that don't quite make sense. But I think you sort of touched on it earlier. I think the main problem is that Batman just has no. N- drive in this film at all other than mm. alfred's gonna get sick and die and i'll have to put an advert out for a new butler and that's a pain <laughs> um and um i'm having an argument with robin and i'm in a very sexist relationship with el mcpherson who wants to marry me that's, and i'm like no no that's so weird like she's in two scenes yeah in this and gets about three lines of dialogue, which are all about as convincingly delivered as all of her lines of dialogue in Friends. And she's got so that same bad. kind of. It's like, <laughs> is she trying to do an American accent, or is she just doing her normal accent? But mm. it sounds weird because she's sounded she's surrounded by Americans. There's actually because I'm just I'm, I'm, I've got the Wikipedia page up, um, mm. and in the cast list it says uh, Elle McPherson as Julie Madison. Julie Madison, the character name is a, an old character from the comics. Mm. Uh, I don't think she's got any connection personality wise because she doesn't have a personality in this film. But. Yeah. Um, but it says Bruce Wayne's girlfriend. She proposes to Bruce, but he does not respond, fearing for her safety. Now, when in any <laughs> of the dialogue does it make clear that that's Bruce's reason? <laughs> he doesn't even... even go off and then have like a conversation with Alfred, where he's like, "Well, she wants to marry me, but I'm fearful for her safety." Like... Or like, I really like her. I just I thought she was basically a woman he hired for parties, so no one would think he was Batman. <laughs> Yeah, there's so little chemistry between them or any. Yeah. But I, th- I, I think George Clooney is not good in this film. He kind of smoulders, no. and he nods his head a little bit, and he tries to cry when Alfred's sick and stuff. Also, whenever <laughs> he has a flashback, he literally looks into an like the corner of the screen, and then they show the flashback as if he's like seeing it, which is really yeah. weird. Yeah. It's really like. Again, I, this is one of those things that going back to this film, I was like, okay, people talk about how George Clooney was a really bad Batman. But, mm. like, you think, like, definitely beforehand, I can totally see why he was cast. You look at George mm. Clooney at the time and you go, yeah, he could be a great Batman. And obviously, retrospectively, George Clooney is great and has been great in loads of things. Yeah. And, you could totally, and mm-hmm. I could totally see George Clooney right now, at the age that he is now, being like the Ben Affleck version of Batman, being that older Batman. I could totally see him pulling that off. So I went into this going, what if it turns out that George Clooney is maybe like probably better than, maybe not, well, definitely not as good as Michael Keaton, but I'll bet he's probably better than Val Kilmer. Mm. And then I watched it 
I was like, no, he's not. He's worse than Val Kilmer. I mean, Kilmer. the thing is, he's, he's not even... terrible. It's not that he's a bad Bruce Wayne. It's that he's just a bad actor. Like, yeah. he's not good yeah. at anything he's, he's doing. No, he's got no authority at all. Yeah. Like, like, he's not... He's got no, like, charisma or, like... Mm. As Bruce, you don't get this, like, feeling of, here is this really intense, weird guy who's also Batman. And again, like, for all of my problems with Val Kilmer, I think whenever Val Kilmer's in the bat suit, he's terrible. I think he was an alright Bruce Wayne. Yeah. He had that kind of weirdness. And obviously, Keaton, we, we talked about it on our, on those two episodes, like, I actually love Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne. I mean, mm. again, in the bat suit, not always great, but his Bruce Wayne is fantastic. Yeah. Because he's so weird. Yeah. Um, but Clooney hasn't got that, and he hasn't got... To replace it, either what he hasn't got is like square jawed heroism. Like, even, you know, Adam West obviously is incredibly campy and ridiculous. But when Adam West is being Bruce Wayne, he's kind of basically being James Bond or he's kind of very Roger Moore, James Bond. He's just got this sort of very clean, straightforward, you know, I am the hero, damn it, kind of thing that, yeah, Clooney just hasn't got. And when he's Batman, it's just embarrassing. He's just yeah. like. You know, he should be, he should loom over every scene. It should be like, oh, wow, Batman's there. And it's like, nah, it's just some dude in a flappy cape. He's, like, he's just I th- I terrible. Think... I mean, he he kind of can punch things. I don't think they give him, mm. they, they don't show you him being demonstratively good at being Batman. He basically mm. uses batarangs all the time. <laughs> and yeah. um, that's about it. And occasionally they've got the correct tools for the situation, but... He's not very good at fighting. He doesn't seem to plan anything. And he's lucky, if anything. <laughs> so yeah. I, it's almost like the, when they wrote the film and directed the film, they go, we need to show him being really good at being Batman. We can't just kind of have him half arse it in fights mm. and like lose them a lot. Like Robin's rubbish as well. Between the two of them, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Why they would are... anyone think you could protect Gotham? <laughs> they terrible. are like tripping over each other, basically, yeah. for the whole film, aren't they? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think Robin is... Like slightly more competent than mm. Batman, possibly. Maybe well, he, that's the he problem. Express it. He has the plan, doesn't he? He has the one plan where he yeah. goes in and kisses Poison Ivy, and he's like, "Rubber lips," <laughs> and you're like, "Rubber lips?" Okay, no, but of course, least, rubber lips. Uh, of course, yeah. But at least he but tried. Have you got a rubber tongue as well, because like, if you get, you're actually going to prevent transmission of this toxin, like just through. <laughs> I don't think that's going yeah, to and also don't tell her your plan and rip off your rubber lips. She can yeah, just kiss you again. Yeah, when you're millimetres away from you and like... I don't think he knows how kissing works. It's like you can only kiss someone once and then never again, unless you're married. Um, also, there's a lot of kissing scenes in this where people kiss people um, and then they have their eyes open with that like uh, Poison they Ivy do does that it. weird, mm. the head tilted yeah. kind of towards the camera sort of, it's really weird. I, d- yeah, I hate it. Times. And they do like the creepy yeah. evil, I'm being evil eyes or, um, <laughs> and it's like, no, shut your eyes. Even if you're being evil, it's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> no one should kiss anyone with their eyes open. <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's like this, I think, because this, uh, you talked before about like the, you know, the scene when Ivy first comes in is this really kind of like aggressively sexualized scene. Mm. And obviously you've got all the sort of the, the close ups and the, the way the costumes were. Apparently Joel Schumacher said that, you know, they, that he wanted the Batman and Robin costumes to be based on old Greek statues and stuff. <laughs> and yet when it actually comes to like people and their chemistry and mm. their interactions, it's so like, pre-adolescent sexless yeah, yeah. it is that sort of it's what you said before about how it's like that it's like that when they get down to it they don't actually know how it works so yeah. it's a bit sort of like well let's just move past that part of it but we've, we've got to have these lines in because it's this kind of film and this is what they do and you know 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's um it's it's almost going for one thing uh and then it's I don't know like part of me goes some of this like for the dads who bought their kids they're like it's sexy woman for the dads because how can it it's it's a hard thing for a teenage not a teenage boy but you're gonna bring like people under the age of 10 to see this film or you want this Mm. to be family friendly it's a bit of a weird storyline to be like there's a woman and everyone wants to have sex with her bring your kids (laughs) you know but but there's a there's a a man and he's frozen as well and he makes ice cream too you like ice cream don't you (laughs) shush i brought you to the cinema um yeah it's it's a weird i think it's just a weird sell as a film in itself and i mean i don't know if there's a way to do poison ivy without that like that is a quite inherent part of what poison ivy is all about yeah. and kind of always has been about but then that just begs the question of well don't use poison ivy it does yeah. it does feel a bit like they got overexcited doesn't it where they were like oh mm. we can we can put this aspect of the character in and just no one went yeah. is that a good idea like mm. do you want to hit the brakes sort of, maybe maybe i don't know i guess now if they were doing poison ivy they probably make her more of a um uh eco warrior but more about climate mm. change and Maybe it's nothing to do with... It's just pheromones, or not even pheromones. It's probably something from plants to convince people, to persuade people of things rather than her. Mm. Because it's not even very helpful, like, having a power in which when you kiss people, they... (laughs) It makes them horny, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it it is, yeah... It's this this idea of like it's it's just always about like getting men under her spell. Yeah, because what about all the women? What if you go convince women of stuff? Well, I mean, a sort of, you know, a key detail with Poison Ivy more recently is that probably the major character shift with her has mm. been in a, for quite a while, being kind of on and off relationship with Harley Quinn. So, like, if you were going to do Poison Ivy in a film now, the natural thing and the thing everyone is kind of crying out for them to do is Birds of Prey sequel yeah, yeah, introduce yeah. Poison Ivy. And she's far more interesting in that context than in just, oh, here's the one female villain. So her thing is that men fall over themselves to do what you I mean that scene with bloody oh with with poor old commissioner gordon oh, who like if you think back to that first batman film for the the tim burton one mm. and it's the same actors pat, pat yeah. hingle and um oh what's his name michael goff are like the only ones who were in all four films mm-hmm. and pat hingle is commis- is commissioner gordon and he's this kind of gruff weary old cop in a big trench coat and a hat who's like uh, you know, he's been trying to catch Jack Napier for years and years, mm. and then Batman comes along, and he's just all. And he, I, I seem to remember a lot of him going around with a megaphone, but he's just basically like Commissioner Gordon is just very tired in that mm. film, and it's like, and it's a really good portrayal of this like beaten down good cop in a bad town sort of thing. And then in this, he's dressed like a military general. He shows up at the start of the film on the screen in the Batmobile and is like, Batman and Robin, there's a new villain. He's calling yeah. himself Mr. Freeze. And it's like, okay, so literally what Batman is now is that the police phone... Okay, so I mean, that is Batman 66, like the police phone him up. <laughs> but literally, Batman is working for the police on call. Mm. And then you don't see anything else of Commissioner Gordon until this horrendous scene that kind of is the, you know, the, other than the stuff with Batman and Robin, is like the one bit of the film that's about Poison Ivy doing the you are completely under my spell thing. Yeah. And it's just really, like, sad. Yeah. I just it's kept just thinking about so his wife awkward. across the room watching him going, yeah. what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> what's he, I know, he's like, what's he no, doing that young? Go, I'm not old. Yeah. 
<laughs> is he drunk? <laughs> is that sand? Yeah, and and I think as well that it was it was weird how the thing about Batman is you want there to be some kind of tension between him and the police, mm. um, rather than being like completely au okay fait with each other, or even yeah. like when he messed up a couple of times. Uh, the police were like, oh, did you, did you get him? And I don't know, George Clooney looked regretful in some way, shape or form. But you think there'd be some something, like there's so many there's yeah. so many things you watch where you go, okay, well, that must have a fallout, right? Like maybe the police don't trust you as much anymore because you're bad at being Batman or I don't know, just, just something. Like, But they all seem to be really super friendly with each other about... Yeah. I mean, at least they do. I mean, you say that naturally now. Yeah, that. But that is there is at least that brief moment where they're like, "So did you get him then, or what?" And Batman's like, "No." And admittedly, yeah, you don't see any fallout from that. Mm. But that is another moment of characters having a completely valid criticism of Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah like, that's if true. We're, if we're yeah. going to let the crazy high tech billionaire vigilante destroy our city, chasing yeah. after villains, the least he can do is actually catch them. Yeah. yeah so I I recently read uh, Batman White Knight. Which is mm. essentially about yes. that. It's like a major thread in that comic is, should we be letting Batman do all the police work? Yeah. <laughs> because like it inevitably results in death and destruction. Mm. Maybe we should get him to stop. Like they acknowledge that they put too much too much faith in his ability to like yeah. capture these crooks, and it's a really interesting story for that reason. Yeah. Um, and also, White White Knight is weirdly sort of kind of set in the movies continuity. Yeah, yeah. Like it kind of it, it like it, it like it is almost like an extrapolated. This is the Burton and Schumacher films like ten, 10 years, years later yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of mm. deal. Yeah, it's it, like the characters are they're not completely, but they're like closest to that. Yeah. Like Joker's real name is Jack Napier. I mean, he's not dead, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's stuff like that. It's weird. It's yeah. So I, I guess the answer is like uh, just read the the better comic books which <laughs> which deal with, with like n- nuance i think i think that's, that, that's... that often turns out to be the answer on this podcast yeah <laughs> i mean you want white, some white in your film? Yeah. <laughs> it's not <laughs> the, the most book. nuanced of comics because it is still quite and it goes on a bit too long but it's 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 more nuanced than this and i think like <laughs> i i don't mind again if your film is a riff on Batman 66 which as i say i think this is even down to like mm. it's doing the dutch camera angles and stuff but and that is the relationship with the police in that. But I think I think even in the nineties, yeah. if you are doing that, you do have to acknowledge that there is there should be a little bit of tension and conflict there. And yeah. It's just, yeah. It's a, there's a line from and again, Wikipedia's just told me something I didn't know, which is that Elizabeth Sanders, who plays Gossip Gertie, oh. uh, was Bob Kane's wife. Yeah. Um although Wikipedia says Sanders was Batman creator Bob Kane's wife, but that's she wasn't the, the wife of the creator of Batman because she wasn't married to Bill Finger. Bob Kane had nothing to do with that comic. All he wrote was his name on it. Bill Finger created Batman. Fuck you, Bob Kane, because that's a Batman. Anyway. Because um... <laughs> so, Gossip Gertie was the uh, only uh, announcer and presenter of yeah, everything, of every <laughs> event. <laughs> But it's that line when she says to to Poison Ivy, she's like, in Gotham City, we have Batman and Robin to protect us. And yeah. it's like, yeah, so so that's where Batman is now. He's not this, like, feared, ruthless creature of the night. Who's he's not scary. It's like, he's a celebrity turning up at parties. With um, a, yeah, I, lo- I, do, I do love that. 
Yeah. Oh my Batman god. Batman is at a party organised by Bruce Wayne that Bruce Wayne isn't at, and nobody comments. That that was uh, that was the best thing when he got his credit card out and they did a close up of it. But there was also a chiching the sound, sound effect ching effect. noise. Yeah. yeah. See, that's the kind of bit that I think would be forgivable if the rest of the film was as funny as it thinks yeah. it is. Like, if that was if that was after a succession of actually funny jokes, you would be like, yeah, you can have that one, that, that's allowed. But as it is, it's like... It's like, James, you've you always said for... I, I remember you for years saying things like, whenever this film comes up, ice skates in the boots. Ice skates. Oh, and, it's yeah. like, and it's in the first that is the bit, like, right. two when, minutes When I saw film. this at the cinema, I looked up, I would have been like 14, 15, depending on when it came out in the UK. It's the first time I remember sitting in a cinema and going like... Oh, this film's stupid, isn't it? Because there's <laughs> Even that bit. at that young age. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what started it all. <laughs> like, because they they don't know they're going to fight Mister Freeze until they're on the way there. And so how are they often just... are they fighting ice space villains? Ice. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. are they just Going walking around with ice skates the in their boots all the time? Seems yeah. excessive. I mean, I I kind of think again, like if the film generally is better. I don't mind the idea that in any given circumstance, Batman always needs exact has exactly what he needs on his person because it's the concept of the utility belt. Not everything that Batman needs would ever fit in the utility belt, but yeah. you know that if Batman needs a particular kind of batarang or bot, I mean, he has a lot of bombs in this film. He does, he blows. I mean, he might not kill anyone, but he blows a lot of shit up by leaving bleeping bombs that are all bat branded and again i'm like was it alfred who sat there and painted (laughs) out the plastic to make sure that it was like all branded it's like the bat Um, cave at the beginning there's some sort of like (laughs) as they're leaving in their vehicles there's kind of like these elegant like bat bridge type things like holding up the tunnels and you're like is that it's like are you getting a construction team in and going this is not it's not it has to be be all bat themed Please don't but it's not Batman's questions. cave, guys. Yeah. Like, honestly. I mean, I, I love it, but the, the, the magic tunnel in uh, in Batman Forever, I mean, I, I don't want to criticise it too much because I do actually love it, but, like, in his office at Wayne Industries, from his chair, he can sit in his chair and press a button and his chair slides down <laughs> through a tunnel that fires him in a rocket all the way through a tunnel to the Batcave. And you just think... <laughs> Whoever dug that tunnel from Bruce Wayne's office is probably <laughs> dead now. He's dead. He, he must yeah. like give him hush money. At the money. bottom of the Gotham River. Yeah. Just in the foundations of Wayne Manor. That's Alfred's other yeah. job. Alfred's other job is to kill everybody he's ever contracted. He's like, I don't mind. I'll do it. I I liked. Oh God, I really. You might be able to explain why this was a plot point that came up. Was oh, probably can't. But can't. Oh, uh, so he's got. A, he comes from a family of butlers, and his brother's a butler, also called who's called Wilfred. Which made me think: has he got like more <laughs> relatives, like Mildred and Wilfred, um, in his family, and they're all butlers? But like, he's trying to contact him, and I think it's obviously to show that it's because he's dying and stuff like that. Mm. But it just seemed like that's. I, I, th- I thought that was leading somewhere and I'd forgotten about mm. it because it showed you that terrible sort of like MS-DOS page where he was looking at photos of mm-hmm. Wilfred, yeah. um, whatever he was called, yeah. 
And I couldn't remember. Was he? Does he actually like put? Does he burn to CD? Basically, is he just burning a message, or is he putting all of the information about Batman and the Batcave and stuff? Because I wondered, is yeah. part of it like I'm going to die, so I need my brother to come here and be the new Alfred? And I almost uh, felt that like that was sense, what it? it was sort of. Yeah. But then I was like, surely you are not going to randomly send out. Like to a guy who you don't actually know where he is, but you just know that he's like on an elephant somewhere in Africa. Yeah. Uh, are you going to send this CD that has all the secrets of Bruce Wayne and the Batcave <laughs> on it, even with, uh, that is encrypted with, <laughs> with the password, three letter Margaret? Is it Peg? It's Peg. It's three letters. <laughs> it's I, th- I think I think secure. that's what he was doing, and uh, it didn't make any sense. Uh, but he was. That's what happens with stage one. You. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're less stealthy. I do like actually that. Like, surely this is the wrong way around because this is why I thought, and I think I, mi- I, I like missed hearing the line when I watched it this time, and I meant to go back and check because you have this whole thing where she sees the photo on the desk, and the photo says Peg, mm. and she goes, "Oh, Peg, that's weird." And he's like, "Yeah, it's short for Margaret." And Margaret was like, was her mother's name, mm. and like when she's guessing the password, she guesses Margaret first yeah because that's the name that she knows and then she sees peg written down she types peg and it's like so his password is a three-letter word that is literally written on his desk <laughs> yeah, next yeah. to his computer yeah. surely the password would be margaret because he called her peg and margaret was like the the less well-known name because it's not written on the desk it's like they got that the he's he's not around. very he's old and he's tired <laughs> But it just feels like that was meant to be a clue. Like like the, the yeah. peg on the thing was supposed to be a clue. So she'd go, oh, peg, but my mum's name was Mar- is Margaret, so mm. the password's obviously Margaret. And it's like she's making a connection and she's making a... a it's, it's a clue. But it's not a clue. It's literally just the password written I down. I thought, given that his like, ability with computers is such that he can copy his own brain <laughs> into a back computer. His brain algorithm. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was slightly surprising that he then chose to use a three-letter password. Yeah, just unless the, like the, the password. He's so good with computers that while there is the password, there is also a two-factor authentication that's yeah, based maybe. on Face ID, and yeah. it recognizes his face and also yeah. his family members. I mean, like <laughs> Alfred is basically Tony Stark, right? Like he he builds all of Batman's technology and suits, and he has this computer system where he can literally put his entire personality in a computer, <laughs> like. It's a bit like Alfred is Iron Man. And he tidies up and he's really good at making food, I assume. Yeah. And he probably irons all of George Clooney's um, black polo necks and weird, (laughs) weird sort of like loose. um, He was wearing some really old clothes. Like he was only wearing black, but it was kind of like, I don't know, it was like these sort of very loose black cardigan type things it's almost like they were neo from the matrix if all his leather jackets were those like flowing ca- cardigans i didn't quite understand what look he was going for it was kind of like every nothing fitted him basically <laughs> i do like given all the stuff that changes between batman 89 and batman and robin like the the things that remain constant are Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon, Michael Goff as Alfred, and Bruce Wayne wears black polo. Yeah, nets. like that mm. is true throughout them. The only thing is, does he ever does does Clooney ever wear the glasses? I don't think he does because no. Michael Keaton's got the glasses, yeah, yeah. and then Val Kilmer wears the glasses because there's that gag with Jim Carrey where Jim Carrey's dressed like Bruce Wayne, and Val Kilmer puts the glasses on, and Jim Carrey puts them on, and then Val Kilmer takes them off, and Jim Carrey takes them off, and but I don't th- I don't think Clooney ever gets the glasses. That's the maybe that, he just that, that he Bruce just Wayne never personality trait reads is, anything. Is he does read something yeah. though. I'm trying to work out: is he long-sighted or short-sighted? 
Maybe he had laser eye surgery. <laughs> Maybe that's why he doesn't read much of Pamela Isley's report, because he's just like, I haven't... Because <laughs> he hasn't got his glasses. Got glasses yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's embarrassed yeah, about yeah. it. And he's like, yeah, don't... <laughs> Yeah, oh, it was it was um, a terrible, terrible film. But but no, do do you remember? It reminded me of it. It reminded me of like a really subpar episode of The Flash or something like that. (laughs) Like sort of because I I like the TV like the CW TV series The Flash and things like that. Um, and because they're stupid uh, and they're very formulaic, but there's something I really enjoy about them because it's always like a character needs to solve something, a villain helps them solve it. At the end, everything's happy, but it's never anything that major. (laughs) <laughs> and the sort of I don't know the underlying drive and problem that needed solving in this was very similar to I don't know like a, a bad TV episode which was Robin needs to trust him <laughs> and that and Robin and Alfred is sick and he has to let go of the control he has over people around him dying or whatever I don't know Alfred said at the beginning about what he's scared of um, and. Yeah, there just wasn't really... Like, the payoff was that Alfred is fine <laughs> due to a UV injection. I don't know. It just it just kind of... It felt to me like, oh, if this was like an episode of a TV series and it was an hour long, you'd be like, yeah, that was all right. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I mean, we we haven't really talked about the the big star of the film and the sort of the, the, the big presence at the centre of the film, other than, than mentioning some of his puns, but... Um, I mean, only recently on this podcast we we talked about a film in which we were extremely complimentary about the particular strengths that Arnold Schwarzenegger is capable of when he's in a film. Mm. And, you know, I I think it's wrong to say that Arnie just straight up can't act. And I think you you look at something like Terminator 2 and then indeed a a lot of other stuff that I think he was doing after that in the 90s and the, the sorely underrated last action hero and it's like it's not that he can't act it's that he does one thing very very well and in something like terminator 2 and indeed appearances in subsequent terminator films he's doing that very very well yeah but here he is playing <laughs> a nuclear scientist <laughs> is he a nuclear scientist what kind of scientist is a doctor a head he's... a head scientist a neuroscientist yeah. <laughs> something um, like um, that oh, he's, he's he's a molecular biologist according to, uh, to okay Wikipedia. okay uh, he's a molecular biologist who falls into an open vat. The, 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 you <laughs> Told mentioned you. earlier, all, all the scenes of people falling in vats. In, in an incredible scene where the CCTV camera films him falling in and then zooms in on his anguished face going, ah! It's just security guard going, lol. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, who who thought that... I mean, again, according to Wikipedia, Patrick Stewart was considered for the role <gasps> of Mr. Freeze. Oh. Patrick Stewart as Mr. Freeze, you can see. But who thought that Arnie was going to be... And as I say, it's not that I don't think Arnie can act, but I think when when lines of dialogue reach a certain mm. level of verbosity, you, you're struggling like just to hear them. Yeah. And that is definitely the case with Arnie in this film, especially with like the makeup and the suit and stuff. And to be fair, for about 10 seconds when he turns up at the start of the film, like he 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 comes in and he's got his ice gun and he's got his his suit and he's he's lit a certain way and he's Arnie, so he's like he's massive and he looks mm. menacing and you're like, "Oh, wow, this is the supervillain." And then he says, "I can't remember what the first pun is. The fir- is the first pun you're not sending me to the cooler. No, that 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 must be later on. I think that's that's like the fourth pun. <laughs> yeah, 
I know it isn't Ice to See You because I know that one is McBain. Like that's 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 the one that isn't Mister. I think they didn't do Ice to See You, but it's just as soon as he starts talking. It's just oh, this is over. <laughs> this this film is over. The thing is, I yeah. normally like he's got good comic timing. Like it's not. Yeah, it's not that he's not. It's not that he can't be funny. funny. It's that he's yeah. not given the material he needs to be funny or asked to do it in the way that he can. He says, "Let me break the ice." At one point, which I, I he meets the prison guards at Arkham Asylum. But by that point, your brain's kind of died and. Could, I'm just, again, I've, I've got I've got wiki quote up for, for a lot of his lines. Yes, allow me to break the ice. My name is Freeze. Learn it well, for it is the chilling sound of your doom. Oh yeah. And it's just yeah, you can't, you know. And when the bit when he's shouting, "Grab the gem, kill the heroes!" Yes, yes, kill them. <laughs> he shouts revenge again, at one point as well. Yeah. <laughs> revenge. Okay. <laughs> Everyone talks out loud about what they're about to do. There's a bit where um, Poison Ivy, uh, she gets taken away by security and then just says out loud that she's going to do something like evil <laughs> and what it is. And there's police escorting her away and they're just like, yeah, yeah okay, cool. We won't worry What's, about that. <laughs> subtext is for cowards, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is a, I mean, it's reminded me as well, actually, of a, I mean, there's, so many of the lines are bad, but as I say, I do feel like they're sort of, they could be like I don't mind the idea of a Batman film where you've mm. got Mister Freeze and all he does is make terrible ice puns throughout yeah. the film. Like if they're funny and if that's kind of played funny, but it's a lot of it's just so awkward. And there's a there's a line and it's quite late in the film that made me realise just how badly written this film is. And it's well, okay, a lot made me. I did already know by then, but it's just, <laughs> but especially it's so awkward. And what it is is when the, it's towards the end of Batman and Robin, they're at uh, Ivy's lair, mm. um, and and. Um, uh, they arrive and Batman says no beauty and then Bane turns up and Dick goes just the beast or you know, Dick says one and boosts but the point is that you have the line no beauty just the beast mm. and it's like that doesn't work as yeah. a setup because you could you can only say no beauty if you know that the beast is going to be there so that you can make that a beauty in the beast reference because otherwise there's no reason to call her beauty because if they just go no beauty no you're right oh there's bane (laughs) yeah it's it's just like it's a line that has been written to be that joke about beauty and the beast but it is not a line that anyone would say the first part of in order to say the punchline but him him and robin have such um they probably talked about in the car they're like okay so if you spot bane nudge me i'll set you up you finish it off that probably i mean to be honest that is yeah that is more likely that is the kind of pretty much anything else that that these guys would come up with yeah It's like that bit where they say about stems. He goes like, "Oh, nice stems, buds too." So, what are you even? What? What does that? that what does that, that even? I think I missed that. What does that even mean? Is that her legs? Well, yeah, I think stems are her legs and buds must be her tits. Yeah. So it's like literally, this is a film where Batman and Robin say, "Oh, Poison Ivy's got nice tits." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice legs, tits too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I think when 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 Dick says that Batman says something like yeah those are nice. So, really? Yeah. Are <laughs> you you're here to fight crime? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It also I think Robin's too young to make such like creepy old man in the pub jokes. You know what I mean? It's like someone's dad 
in the pub. It, they're basically going, we're writing jokes for the dads watching this film. Yeah. <laughs> You'll enjoy it. But this is why they, they can never figure out how old Robin is because at some points, yeah, he's like he's joking around like he's 30. Mm. And yet at other points, he's also creeping on a schoolgirl. I mean, to be fair, he could still be 30 if he's creeping on a schoolgirl. But it's like it's definitely suggested that him and Barbara are roughly the same age. Yeah. Um, and he's got that sort of naivety, doesn't he, about Poison Ivy is like, I love her. She's amazing. We get on so well. I'm going to marry her. You know, he's got that kind of like first yeah. crush style thing. The bit where yeah. he's like telling Batman off because he's like, no, you you just hate that she's interested in me. He's like, he's Bruce Wayne. He's, he can have any woman he can, in this He town. can have sex with literally anyone. Yeah. He had he's having sex with him three Elle times. McPherson. Yeah. He's had sex with Elle McPherson. Um... <laughs> Nicole, and Nicole Kidman, Kidman and Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> and Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> and Kim Basinger. Yeah, he's they're all very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Tall, beautiful women seem to be his type. Yeah, like at the, at the start of Batman Returns, I can't even remember if I feel like they possibly did make some kind of reference to Vicky Vale in mm. Batman Returns just to explain that oh but hang on, you were together at the end of the film and now mm-hmm she's disappeared and then obviously uh, Batman Returns the whole thing is like she's presumed dead and then but secretly turns up at the end because they wanted to do a spin-off that they never made but then it, but then at the end of Batman Forever like he's ostensibly in a relationship with Chase Meridian mm. who like Vicky Vale knows that he's Batman <laughs> and yet she's again it's like is this Alfred's job I was going to say Alfred gave her the old dispose of these women shovel to the back of the hill at the bottom yeah. of the river Off in Gotham the River for you <laughs> Yeah, do you think Alfred has to break up with them for him? Because I bet he's too much <laughs> Almost for him. definitely. I bet he's yeah. like, I made you Absolutely. a delicious uh, British <laughs> cup of tea and uh, a roast dinner and your job. Well, oh, do you know what? Because at the end, because that's the thing, at the end of Batman, like, she's in the car with Alfred and Alfred's like, Mr. Wayne said to tell you he's been delayed. And she's like, oh, I'm not surprised, Alfred. And it's like, you don't know where Alfred drives off <laughs> yeah. to her in that car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Into the river. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, it's sort of like the end of Bond films, isn't it? Where he gets together with a girl and then he's single again and you're like, what happened? But I, maybe it's just a really, be a really tedious bit of the film if it's yeah. just showing the slow like the decline of the relationship. But like, it's so cool that you're Batman and then it cuts to a night later. It's like, what do you mean you're out fighting crime? Okay, fine. It's fine. I know, no, just go, I just, just I, ordered, I ordered Chinese. It's fine. I'll eat it. It's fine. What do you mean you can't meet my parents? And it's just that. And they're like, that's quite boring. <laughs> but they should just, sort of between films, they should release like little webisodes, which is just like... I would definitely, I would definitely watch Here's those. I would love that. <laughs> it's just uh, someone on the phone being like, Bat- Batman, you oh, okay, you're busy. It's fine, don't worry. <sighs> There'd be a really awkward conversation where he has to say like, look, I know we've broken up, but you're going to you gonna not mention <laughs> just... the Batman thing Yeah, to you're going to sign this NDA? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, like, I guess... Well, I was just thinking, if Batman broke up with me, but like in a really nasty way, <laughs> would I sell his story for lots and lots of money? Hmm. You'd probably become a supervillain because that's that is a kind of supervillain origin right there. <laughs> yeah, I'd throw myself in a vat of like butter or yeah. something. Be like I'm butter woman. <laughs> I fall over a lot. Yeah, you melt at room still temperature. Diamonds. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm actually, on reflection, I'm a terrible supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's again, one of the one of the criticisms that gets offered to Bruce, and Dick says it about how you know, oh, you've got a really really weird attitude to women, Bruce. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. He he only yeah, dates do. women yeah. who are either villains or professionally obsessed with him. <laughs> yeah, it's like some kind of narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Bat- Batman's just a douche. Yeah, I, I, I did think um, with uh, Freeze, I did actually think his sort of like blue um, coloration. It was quite like speckly, and I actually thought it was quite good. I was surprised by how good that looked because sort of comparing it to sort of Jennifer Lawrence um, Mystique, <laughs> or which I don't think is that great. It actually no. didn't look that. Bad for the film it was in. That was quite uh, effective, I thought. So if I, I was trying to find good things about the film, and I was like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's I mean, good. one of the things we normally try and do is like focus on the positives and what a film does well. It's really hard for mm. this film. <laughs> I mean, I think I would say. I mean, I think the costumes are pretty. The costumes of the heroes are pretty terrible and, mm. and get worse as the film goes on. But aside from that, I do think this has quite good production design Mm. I mean not in the sense of I personally don't like it very much like it's all kind of purple UV light and it's coherent isn't it it's a coherent production but yeah but but as as with forever like it has an identity it looks a certain way it knows it knows what it's supposed to look like Mm. and as and I actually think like yeah the the look of it is designed to be the the -the over-the-top campy comedy take on on batman 66 that the film thinks it is it's the script and to an extent some of the performances that stop it from succeeding at that but i think like like i don't think you could say it's a um i mean again like i i don't want to say like stuff makes sense throughout because plot wise that it's ridiculous and ludicrous but it's not a film where you're watching it wondering what just happened yeah like you can see what's happening on screen, and yeah. it makes which sounds like the the most backhanded of compliments. But for a lot of big blockbuster films, it's a real problem. You could put um, a baby you know. in front of it, and the baby would go, "I understand what is <laughs> happening." I mean, they might not understand the poison ivy strip no. show prostitution scene. <laughs> yeah, but, they'd be like, "Is that what women do?" <laughs> I want to be like poison ivy, but the old version. Um, yeah. I actually thought Arkham was uh, has some good security measures. The fact they had that steel enforced wall, and it was mm. very very high up. So if you um, tried to escape from it, you you could still survive apparently because they would jump out of it. Yeah, because everyone fine. could survive jumping and falling in. But yeah. but you you'd think about it for you know a hot two minutes. You'd be like, yeah. should I mm. throw myself off? Because what I love about that was they uh, freeze and poison ivy both throw themselves out of this hole in Arkham into this moat below and it's, you know, miles and miles and miles for them to fall. And you go, well, if that doesn't kill them, then Bane throwing himself off after them and landing on them will. <laughs> Probably will. But they're fine. This, this this film has a lot of weirdly survivable falls. Because again, like if you think back to like, you know, Batman 89, that whole climax takes place at the top of an impossibly tall building where it's like, oh, you could fall. And then the Joker does fall and mm. he dies. And then even in Batman Forever, uh, because he's the ultimate like terrible Joker tribute act, Two-Face falls down a big cliff and dies. Mm. But here it's like they seem to fall a comparable distance into the sea 
and everyone's fine. But at the start of the film, you've got the surfing, and it's like you can oh, surf yeah. from an exploding thing at sky level. <laughs> you don't need anything to slow you down. Arnie, who is like Arnie in his big metal, he's already Arnie, and he's got a big metal suit, has these little flimsy wings that mm. enable him to float downward. Um, and just from then on, it's just like, yeah, there's a lot of... Because because there is this weird thing in the particularly the Schumacher films where, like, a lot of Gotham seems to be... Like, like they seem to have roads and stuff, like, 60 stories high. Yeah, they everything's have, like, sort of piled on top of each other. They have, like, their street races and stuff, yeah. It's, li- it's kind of a little bit, like, sort of, like, Mega City 1-ish, but it's... But also, that just means that people can fall really far and... <laughs> the, um, they're fine. The design of the <laughs> observatory appears on screen for a very small amount of time, but it's so mad. Yeah, <laughs> with the hands holding yeah. up the... It's like, um, yeah. it's like someone built an actual observatory, but in <laughs> a giant pair of hands that are, like, cradling it. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah, I thought some of the architecture was very interesting, but maybe that's a redeeming feature of Gotham, is, like, it's got interesting architecture. Yeah, that's, that's why people move there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just love the architecture. <laughs> and I also love surfing above it. As, um, that, well, that, I forgot about that. That was just the most insane thing I've I've seen when they just jump out of a, what, like, rocket going up in space. And they don't even talk about it. They just both jump out of it and use the doors as surfboards to safely float to Earth, but also, like, kind of spinning as if their feet are attached to it as well. Mm-hmm. But they're not. And... No one seems scared. Gravity works differently no. in Gotham. I, by that point, I was like, I, I love this film. <laughs> this is the dumbest thing I've seen. I'm in. And I mean, I, th- I think that's like, this is why I don't, I, I wouldn't call this like one of the worst things that we've done, even though it is like, there's so many ways that it like isn't competent. And. <laughs> But there's like like that observatory design. You remember it. Like yeah. there's there's memorable stuff. There are shots and there are, as terrible as they are, lines of dialogue. And you might only remember them because people have been quoting them for the last twenty years going, Oh, wasn't that terrible? Mm. But you know, like like the first thing I think of if someone mentions this film is Oxbridge Academy. It's mm. like <laughs> like that is a little, an incredibly little detail in this film. But I remember it, and, yeah. I, and I think there is at least a sort of there is that there's that aesthetic coherence. It's failing to do what it's trying to do, which is to be arch and knowingly funny. And I do think, like performance wise, I don't think anyone is any good in it. Like apart, apart from, from maybe John Glover, and yeah, and even Alfred. But even I mean, it's Michael Goff. He is reliable, but he's having to like he's being he's having to be very. Mm laboured with it yeah. because he's playing old frail dying alfred the bit the bit where um alicia silverstone turns up for the first time and he says how did you get here all the way from england and you're like <laughs> plane maybe i mean that comes back to you before about how she's wearing her school uniform so has she yeah like, where'd she change from school she's got the tube to Heathrow. <laughs> yeah she's got straight her on plane, the plane yeah. Gotham. So i didn't she's got I didn't no want... luckage <laughs> Um, yeah, no. That is just, also, also when he's ill, he does really weird ill acting. Because mm. I think yeah. it's about the first time, no, maybe the second time we see him. We see him. He makes some jokes about cancelling some pizzas because they're going to be away a while, uh, and then he goes to switch something off, and he like he makes a face like like he's constipated or trying to hide a <laughs> fart or something, and you just go, uh, I think he's ill. 
I think he's... But so they're obviously, when they were directing it, they're like, we... You know, um, the actor's method, you know, being subtle, out the window. Nothing in this film is subtle. Look like you're having a hernia. Go. <laughs> I am I am a bit disconcerted by Alfred in this, though, because of the, the revelation that without her knowledge, right. uh, he has been designing sexy clothes for his niece. Has he been it's measuring like... her while she sleeps? Well, yeah, because he said, I took the liberty of preparing something in your size. Yeah. Like... Really? Where did you get those measurements from? And also, why did he come to that conclusion that she yeah. would want to get involved in that? He's been ill in bed with McGregor's disease or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, has he been? How did he know that she was so proficient in judo? Well, it's because I mean, presumably, if they have been in contact, you would. If you were Alfred yeah. and like you lived with Batman and Robin, and then your niece turns up and you know that she's a computer hacking genius mm. and she does karate and she can ride motorbikes, you're like. Okay, I'll I'll just I'll let her find the Batcave. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess maybe me, because yeah. he's also a, a computer programming genius with his brain yeah. algorithm, he probably just hacked into her emails <laughs> and read them. Yeah, I do. I do think the line "suit me up, Uncle Alfred" is suit probably the low Alfred. point of the entire script. Mm. Uh, and uh, do you know, I was like, again, how old? What was this like? Yeah, summer of '97. So like, it was like 13, going on 14 when this film came out. So excited that Alicia Silverstone was going to be playing Batgirl. Like post Clueless, you're just like, oh, Alicia Silverstone's amazing, and like, wow, every every line from her is just like, like I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily fair that she's pretty much the only one whose career was killed as a result of this. But like, I also don't think it's unfair. (laughs) <laughs> that it was. <laughs> I just think it should have been for everybody else as well. Well, but I guess what he, like, a lot yeah, of the others what did he do? Unscathed, I mean, he was in Grey's but... Anatomy. Yeah. That's, that's what else I remember him from. <laughs> what else did Chris? Well, O'Donnell... you know, George Clooney, Uma Thurman, Arnie. Ev- everyone else gets away with this one, especially because George Clooney's apologised for it. And Alicia Silverstone got a lot of flack from people, like mm. even before. Yeah, but we know why that is, out, right? Because she, like, had she the, was the target. She had the goal to be a woman. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's what happened there. She she got a lot of abuse about her weight and stuff, didn't she, as well? Yeah. Which I think is one of the reasons Which is she's bizarre sort of... when you look at the film. It's yeah. Because like... <laughs> I was watching um, it and I was like, oh, wow, that's so... Um, weirdly, my brain went, she looks uh, more like normal than a lot of women in these kinds of films. And I was like, mm. oh, that's really nice that they were so forward-thinking to like go, you're a normal-sized woman. Like, she's still small, but compared mm. to what you're used to seeing um but then obviously gets uh so much abuse for it which mm. yeah i mean it must be it must be really tricky if you sort of i don't know you're young you want to be in films and you just get a lot of judgment about how you yeah. look i mean i you know i i do think like she is miscast like mm. if you again if you look at why she's so good in clueless yeah nothing about that role this role in this film plays to the obvious strengths that she had in that yeah. film but again like is that her fault because again george clooney is hopelessly miscast yeah. because nothing about the the role of it plays to his strengths you know uma thurman i think kind of gets away with it because i think you i think you forget how bad she is when she's pamela isley and she yeah. is like so hammy and over the top but because that's only at the start of the film she gets away with it for the rest of the film because she's being poison ivy and it's she's supposed to be ridiculously yeah, over yeah. The top. so it you know although i did think a weird thing with her is that it sounds like all of her dialogue sounds like it's been adr'd 
like throughout the film mm. it never felt like her dialogue sounded like it was coming out of her mouth there at the time it, it just felt really weirdly distant yeah. i don't know i don't know the story there if there is a story there but do you think it's her voice uh is very like sexualized and kind of like oh i wonder if she did it in a a normal voice, no, like in a she more was like, normal voice. in a normal <laughs> yeah. sort of American, her, like, and they were like, "No, that is not." We tested it, and yeah. no one finds you uh, sexy enough. Can you do your best, sort of sexy? That's why they have saxophones playing underneath voice. everything she says. Yeah, oh, like the, saxophones are sexy. Right? Followed around by a saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> That's what indicates here is a sexy woman. A saxophone. I was going to say, like, her career didn't didn't go from strength to strength after this she basically disappeared until kill bill right yeah like she was in she was in the six the remake of the avengers tv show which oh, was yeah. also a massive... yeah see that's probably more likely what what did it for her doing that after this probably yeah yeah um... i was a bit confused as to what happened to poison ivy in this film as well because she got beat up in a very clunky fight with batgirl um, yeah. And then she falls into a giant plant of hers, and then the plant is like, I guess, a Venus flytrap, and it kind of swallows her. But she'd been lying in it before, very comfortably, with nothing happening. <laughs> and if she's sort of the the mother of plants, why would it? Yeah. So yeah. why would it then turn? Yeah, on Yeah. For me, I yeah. thought there could have been a much more interesting way of, you know, her being defeated. But it was like boot kick to stomach falls in venus flytrap and then that's it <laughs> next time you see her she's in arkham asylum <laughs> the revolutionary idea of like oh, maybe let's let's make her fight someone who won't be immediately turned into her like sex zombie yeah sex like, zombie <laughs> just oh yeah we can but get there... a woman to do it can't we of course <laughs> I mean that does raise that whole question of there's no inherent reason why if she has this pheromone thing, No, it was the nineties bisexuality did not exist. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing. I do like it? how the film sort of has the just just before that it's had that scene where like Batgirl turns up and she's like, I'm Batgirl and, and Batman's like that's not very politically correct. What shouldn't you be <laughs> oh, Batwoman? Because it's person. the night or Batperson because oh, it's the nineties. And then at the same time as having taken the piss out of political correctness, it then has that incredibly laboured moment where she's like, using feminine wiles to get what you want, you give chicks a bad name or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I love it when, when men write uh stuff like that. They're like, I think this is what a woman woman would say <laughs> written by a man how do you do fellow kid women <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh. i'll put something in for the women don't worry guys <laughs> uh, i felt spoken to i was like yeah you're right turn it off and i marched in the streets <laughs> stop stop doing the washing up i was like i'm not doing the wash up anymore finally a superhero for women <laughs> yeah I do wonder if possibly the only person in this film who, like, completely successfully and without equivocation achieves what they're asked to do by it is Jeep Swenson, the wrestler who plays Bane. Like, mm. all he has to do is stomp around and go, Bane! I don't even know if it's his voice. It probably is. But, like, you know, that's that's basically all he has to do. And, and he succeeds. He's, like, he's very good That is good possibly the most successful version of a... <laughs> of a Batman character in, in this entire film. Yeah, and he was quite he was almost quite um not like scary, but I I 
definitely had a weird like sort of memory rewatching it where I was like, I think when I watched this when I was younger, I found him a little bit. He was probably the scariest thing about the film for me when I watched it when I was 12. Yeah, I would have been 12. Um, so that was mildly successful. You know, it scared a 12 year old girl. That, that was the threat level. But um, yeah, he he did what he was meant to do. Be sort of a mindless big hench man. <laughs> It is this this film actually. When you look at it, this film has got six Batman villain characters. It is quite it, dense with characters generally, isn't it? Because it's got three heroes as well. It's got your three heroes, but it's got it's got your three actual like named villains. Mm. It's got Poison Ivy, Mister Freeze, and Bane. Um, the character that the 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 scientist character that um, John Glover is playing is Jason Woodrow, um, <laughs> who is actually the alter ego of the Floronic Man, who okay. goes back to like sixties DC. He was like he was an enemy of the Atom and the Flash, and he's showed up in in loads of things. Um, Nora, this 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 one's a bit of a reach, but Nora fries or freeze or or whatever has been a supervillain as well. Like she's Mister Freeze's wife, but mm. she has been a supervillain as both Mrs. Freeze and also Lazara because she got resurrected in a Lazarus pit and became a fire themed supervillain. So nice. she's a supervillain, and apparently I didn't know this, but. The character that Coolio plays <laughs> what? in the at the start of the bike race scene was Jonathan Crane. And Coolio later said no. in interviews that he was supposed to be playing the scarecrow <laughs> in the sequel. I'm not <laughs> sure who told I th- him that. I thought the scare well, yeah, because I thought the scarecrow was supposed to be wasn't um Oh, what's his name? The DJ, the shock jock. Uh Howard Stern. Howard Stern was rumoured to be playing the scarecrow <laughs> oh. in the, the fifth film. Uh, but apparently, Coolio said that he was he was it was a it was a Billy D. Williams kind of scenario where he shows up playing a character with the name promised to play the villain, and then they probably would have recast him. So um, <laughs> on internet, so on IMDb, is his character labelled as like Jonathan Crane? I don't know if it's on IMDb. This is a, so this is an article Would- on Hollywood Reporter uh, where <laughs> he said. Uh, the only reason I did that part was they promised me the villain part in the following Batman, which they didn't do because Joel Schumacher, they fired him. Me and him didn't get along that great anyway. The next Batman, the villain was supposed to be the Scarecrow. So I don't know if it says that he was actually Jonathan Crane or if that's just been extrapolated. Or did but... someone just say that to him to just get him into the I film? Was to say, do I very think that seems well more likely to me. Yeah. <laughs> also, his cameo was not very long and he had about four lines. Seemed yeah. like a weird pointless cameo he did not do any rapping <laughs> nor much acting you just went oh no. look it's coolio yeah anyway i remember him what's he up to now anyway i mean it, at least it is a bit more timely than when they put macy gray in spider-man but i do not even um... remember that what is she was she doing it <laughs> in the, the when the green goblin first turns up at that that there's like a some kind of carnival thing on in new york yeah. and she's singing at this festival oh, when the green goblin turns up and it's like it was about two years after after her, her commercial peak single yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, at least with coolio like i'm pretty sure coolio had probably had a hit within about a year of of this film yeah um, what was the did this film because because you know the, the Batman films with um, Batman Forever had, had a pretty good track record with like hit singles I've no idea what it the, was, um, was was there a song from this Gotham City was it R. Kelly what well for this Ooh. one 
That's that. That's why we don't talk about yeah. it. Oh, this uh, this, yes, this is a cursed Gotham film. Gotham City by R. Kelly. Yeah. It also had the end as the beginning is the end by the Smashing Pumpkins in it. Oh no, that was a no. That that was for this because I've just looked it up and the cover art was the Batman and Robin logo. <laughs> oh my god! I bet Billy Corgan doesn't talk about that one often. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> oh wow! Do you want to hear a quote from Billy Corgan about it? <laughs> Absolutely. I always want to hear a quote from Billy Corgan. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, I found myself going, "I can't write a song about Batman. I'm in an alternative band." And I thought, "This is stupid. If I can write a song about Batman and it serves the purpose, which is to make it happen and connect with the movie and connect with something that is unique and original, then why?" not for me it was kind of a it was a great kind of artistic thing to do because it was very freeing i wasn't talking about myself or trying to represent the smashing pumpkins i was trying to represent batman and then wikipedia says he further commented that the song's lyrics were meant to represent the batman of the 1940s when he was a darker character do you think he added that just be like i've seen the yeah, film after the film came yeah. out like, <laughs> i wasn't trying to be that guy because <laughs> it's like what would you i'm batman my nipples are chafing <laughs> that's why i made the suit with the nipple bumps <laughs> oh yeah that's i mean if you i guess i guess you, the the thing is they go we write a song about batman and they're like no artistic integrity they're like have some money they're like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. If that. you're in an alternative band, then you'll be looking for some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's disturbing. <laughs> how much money? How much money did it make? It made two hundred and thirty-eight million dollars off a budget of between one hundred and twenty-five and one hundred and sixty million. Oh, so it made made. Some some money back, bit of pocket. I mean, change. it made some money back, but I think not enough to be considered a a hit. I wonder how much had Batman Forever done. Uh, Forever had made three hundred and thirty-six off a budget of a hundred. So I so said Forever was was a hit, but mm. weirdly, sort of a hundred less. I mean, in those in those days, that's kind of. I mean, that is about a quarter, a quarter <laughs> less, but. But I mean, this film yeah. doesn't look that expensive either. There were a couple bits in it. I don't know if you guys noticed it, where they literally reversed the shots. Yeah. So there's a bit where yeah, Robin falls in the water and then comes up again, and is meant to go back down, but they obviously didn't capture that, so they just reverse him coming out of the water. There's another bit where someone like throws a gun up and it lands quite perfectly because obviously it's fallen down, but they just reversed. And some of that you go, okay, well that's saving money couldn't have cost that much there are a lot of bits where i thought oh that must have saved them cash because like there's um there's a bit where oh it's when they're driving over the observatory hands Mm. and it's quite clearly like just some tiny models like not even good models (laughs) just really cheap obvious like yeah yeah so they no expense spent on the movie i think (laughs) yeah I do think, and I've, ju- I've, I've just Googled it to have a proper look at it, I think it's possibly the best Batmobile design. I mean, it's only in the film for a bit. But I mean, I don't mean of all time, but like of the, of that run of films. Mm. Like, obviously everyone loves the Tim Burton one. Uh, I think the ba- the Batman Forever one with the kind of big single flappy fin was a bit ridiculous. I, I think this one's, and again, it has got a bit of a Batman 66 vibe to it you can kind of see what they're going for with it and it's like i think that's i think that's quite a good it's quite a good batmobile it's all right i don't know what the weird thing that that dick is driving you know when they're in snow mode at the end 
and like Dick's got something that's like halfway between a car and a bike because yeah. Batgirl's got a bike. And I love that they've got their snow suits where it's like, well, we're going to fight Mr. Freeze, so we have to wear costumes where the logos are silver. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's our special snow costume. We have silver logos. Um, yeah. I, w- I was trying to think what would my bat mode of transport be? <laughs> penny farthing. <laughs> the bat penny farthing. Yeah. I just, I think my, I guess uh, my thing would be that I'm British. I'd be like a Victorian British lady. That would be my, that would be my superhero hook. Yeah, lady bat. Lady bat. And actually, I've realised what my favourite thing about the, the Batmobile in this film is, is that both the previous Batmobiles have got two seats. And then in this one, which is the film where where him having a partner is in the title of the film, he's got a one-seater Batmobile. <laughs> Bat- Batman and Robin have fallen out so much that he won't let him be in the car. No wonder they've fallen out. He So he yeah. teamed up with someone and immediately removed one of his and seats. And immediately removed one of the seats so They could in his never car. be in a car together. <laughs> he was like, are you, are you removing? Yeah, it's nothing to do with you. It's not personal. It's like, yeah, okay. Feels personal, yeah. Man. Yeah, it feels really personal. <laughs> but also the thing that unites all of them at the end uh, is they're all orphans, so there we go. Yeah. They can have some fun <laughs> chats about their deep trauma, aren't they? They should. All, I'd like it if at the end they all just all ran up and like punched the air and went, orphans, unite! Yay! <laughs> and, and Batman has allowed... Um, the the young woman that Dick is obviously incredibly enamoured with to just like move in with them. Yeah, just, like, that's that's going to be fun for him to keep on top of. Oh god, he'll have to have them in separate wings of the house, won't he? Like, you two, <laughs> none of that. <sighs> yeah. And we haven't even we, we haven't even had a chance to mention Vivica Fox and her like one scene appearance. What does she do? I, She's she's Mr. Freeze's mole, and Mr. Freeze is oh, in this yeah. bizarre situation yeah. where he has a mole who he's not interested in because, <laughs> like, her sole purpose in life is to be turned down by Mr. Freeze. Like, in lingerie, some very fetching yeah, yeah, kind of lingerie. Christmas, yeah, Christmas themed. Like everyone's all the ice thugs, uh, as they are uh, labelled, and um, they're all yeah. freezing. Uh, yeah. While he makes them watch some weird cartoon and eat like frozen meals, and, and they've all... like got frozen meals stuck to them, and I'm like, I'm looking at them, going, like, guys, you know, you don't have to work for him, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of villains in Gotham, and you could go and work. I mean, for he instead. does have giant diamonds, so <laughs> that's true. Oh yes, his his costume that is powered by consuming diamonds. Yeah, I I was very confused about. Thing. I know diamonds I said like a fuel. <laughs> yeah, I saw I know I said like a baby could watch this and understand it, but I was a bit confused <laughs> about the diamond theft and also museums in um these kind of films where they they just have a diamond in the museum like a really <laughs> priceless yeah. huge sort of what, have you have you never gone to a museum to look at a diamond? It's like a single, unsecure, yeah. Just in a glass. Just once, I want to see a film where the villain is going to steal the Rosetta Stone. <laughs> but it's it's just weird, isn't it? How there's like phases. There's decades where people rob banks, and then it's like, and yeah. there's decades where people were just stealing things from museums, priceless artifacts. And I mean to be fair, that happened in Black Panther as well. But uh Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but for different reasons. Yeah. That seemed that but that seemed like much more uh, intelligent and plausible than yeah. 
like I don't know. Here's a really big diamond. Here's a big we want to show off yeah. about. Not much cultural but, you know, heritage we're, we're, have, we're having an auction for for diamonds yeah. on women, and also that I mean I talked a bit earlier about the prostitution scene. That auction, what happens in that auction is they bring out these diamonds with with the women, and then one guy says, "I'm going to bid twenty thousand dollars on that one," and then someone else shouts, "I'm going to bid thirty thousand dollars on a different one," <laughs> and then a third guy goes, "I'm going to bid fifty thousand dollars on that one," and you're like. Dudes, this is not how, not how an auction works. <laughs> Auctions are badly organised. It's no Christie's, is it? <laughs> no. And are they auctioning again? Are they auctioning for the diamonds and the women? I think the implication is certainly that, like, they'd at least get to hang out with the woman for a bit, like right. at least a date, possibly, which is a bit. I mean, Bruce Wayne organised this event. What's going on, Bruce? Oh, You've Bruce... got a weird attitude. <laughs> he to women. does have a weird attitude to women. <laughs> I mean, is the idea that like they just spend the day with them and they just have a nice time and a nice chat and they're like, so have you got any plans? Like, yeah, I'm I'm um, trying to save money to get back to school. And they're like, that's fine. <laughs> Maybe it's just all very above board. And because um, they all seem like they were there with their wives who are fine with this, apparently. Like, oh, yes, you buy yourself a I mean- woman, dear. Some people take up golf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it was in Metropolis, I believe it was a bit more wholesome, but we are talking about Gotham City, yeah, yeah. so maybe not. So, is there anything that's actually good about the film? That's what I'm trying to work out. Aside from the production um, design. Does it no, get Batman as a character? Design. I think probably not, right? <laughs> no, of course it doesn't. No. <laughs> no. It doesn't get anyone as a character. There's no such thing no as characters. No characters in this, in this film. film, that's the problem, yeah. <laughs> But I just, I just think that it's like, I mean, there's, there's not, there's not much that I'd say is, or anything that I'd say is good about it. But I also just like, it's definitely not the most painful thing to watch. Yeah. I think because, because it's so far removed from like actually being any version of Batman that like you would like. I don't, I don't feel offended by anything. I can laugh at the fact mm. that Batman is is basically a, a a dickhead villain in it, in a way that like. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which has far more of a pretense towards being a good and proper and serious Spider-Man film, upsets me because Spider-Man murders (laughs) a a bullied mentally ill person. Um, Man of Steel upsets me more because and actually you know man of steel in so many ways is actually technically really really good Mm. but just you know so much at the heart of it completely falls apart for me that it that it literally physically upsets me Um, with this I'm just like there's nothing about this that I could ever imagine getting very worked up about and I think when you watch it it just kind of washes over you and a couple of moments kind of it's like when I said before like I don't think it's got any good jokes in it the bit about you mentioned it before uh, Ellen when uh, they're in Arkham and she gets Bane to punch through the wall and the wall turns out to be reinforced steel and they're like oh we can't go out that way then it's like that was quite funny I mean Maybe not quite funny. That even that's pushing it. But it was like that was that was okay. You mm. know, it's got little bits like that, and and, it's, and I think it's a film that while you're watching it, you can think with amusement about the ridiculous all the production stuff around it, and you can look at how it got to be the way that it is, and that's kind of that is quite interesting. Like you can see. You can see how this film ended up, but you can see how everyone got cast. Yeah. And you can see how they thought things about it were good and what they thought they were doing based on the previous film. And that all of that, to me, makes it 
far from the most like egregiously either insulting or boring thing that we've covered on this podcast. I just think we've done far worse. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's um, it's very nineties. Uh, it does make you forget that good things came out in the 90s. Um, <laughs> it's just best not to compare it to anything and just go, oh, it's of its time. Um, and it's stupid, but it's a really fun film to watch with other people yeah. uh, and just talk over and yeah. just laugh about things and point things out. Although there was a definitely a point where like, I paused it and I went, how is there 50 minutes left of this film? <laughs> like, what more do we need to say? Like, yeah. <laughs> When I started it, I was like, oh, thank God, it's less than two hours. And then even then it was like, yeah, but it should have been like about 85 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what you said about it being. It should be like an hour-long episode of a TV show. Like, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys remember, but after this film came out, there was a very real feeling that, oh, maybe comic book films are just done. Like, mm-hmm. maybe this has killed them all off. And there was Blade yeah. came out. And then, even then, it wasn't until X-Men in 2000 when people sort of went, oh, maybe comic book films aren't done. Yeah. Mm. X-Men was seen as, like, the fresh start yeah. mm. off the back of this. It was like... And it, it's ironic to look at X-Men now as the film that was supposed to be the serious <laughs> yeah. one, because, like, it's not. But yeah. it was the... We're not doing the brightly coloured costumes. We're not doing, like, the campiness. Like, it does... It, X-Men does have jokes in it, and actually, you know, Wolverine being funny is one of the best things about yeah. that film. But, I mean, you know, it was, was very much... We are not doing Batman and Robin. Even that was because <laughs> Joss Whedon got hold of the script, wasn't it? Like, he did a pass. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you wonder how much of X Men was a reaction to to the campness of Batman and Robin. Because mm. I know big chunks of X Men were sort of aping the Matrix and the look of those nineties mm. action films, late nineties. I mean, I I don't think necessarily because I think you know I, I think we have had plenty of we had plenty of funny superhero movies after this and like again we talked about <laughs> like when we did the Raimi Spider Man the Raimi Spider Man. It's not like it gets rid of bright, colourful campness. There's a lot of bright, colourful campness in that Raimi Spider-Man mm-hmm. film. I think the key, the key thing that comes out of this film is that nobody would do um, a take like this on Batman again. Specifically, it's yeah. like the next Batman film after this, because of the way people reacted to this, had to be the super series, had to be Batman Begins, and then ever since then, it's like, well, obviously in movies, Batman is Christopher Nolan style until you get to. Zack Snyder style, yeah. where it's we want to do Frank Miller from the comics. We want to kind of do that that version of Batman. It's like, but I think with the exception of them getting to go and do it in like Lego Batman and Teen Titans Go and stuff like that, where they can they can do it in kids things. That like kids things is where they can <laughs> do, do all Batman, of their Batman yeah. jokes. And like yeah. like Lego Batman, I don't think was as good as it thought it was, but was a far more successful let's do a comedy riff on Batman than this was. But that's the only place you're ever going to see it now. You will never see a live-action Batman film that tries to go down this route because as soon as someone does it, everyone will go, Batman and Robin, don't yeah. do that again. <laughs> and I guess they just don't... I think once you've seen so much interesting versions of it which have been infinitely more successful, it just seems like mm. incredibly pointless unless you're going to do something very interesting with it unless you're going to do a sort of like a into the batman verse you know where you have <laughs> yeah. a comedy one and you have a serious one and yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a way of kind of mixing uh the kind of campy 60s one into it but i think that would be the only way you could do it is like to have a very interesting new take on it um yeah 
There's a really good. Uh, it's a it's a one shot spin off of Planetary, the the Warren Ellis yeah. uh, series, uh, the Planetary Batman. It is, yeah, it's Planetary Batman. Um, the base the premise is basically that it's like the the walls between universes are splintering, and the Planetary team encounter Batman. But like every couple of minutes, the universe shifts, and he turns into <laughs> a different version of Batman. And like he, they're still there, but they have a different Batman in front of them. Yeah. And there is a moment where he turns into the Adam West version and he's like stand aside there's a miscreant loose in Gotham City and he's got like an uh, anti-female villain repellent spray like he's been fighting Jaquita Wagner and it's like and then but then it like jumps to Frank Miller version and then it jumps to 1940s version yeah. and it's like um, I, I think that's a that's a side of Batman that's really interesting that hasn't really been explored is the variety of interpretations there's there's so many different versions of batman and they're not wrong the the comedy take on batman that this film does is not wrong because it goes back to not just the 1960s but it's what he was like in the comics in the 50s yeah and that's like that's only like 10 or 15 years after batman was first introduced as like the dark avenger of the night (laughs) he gets he gets light and campy really quickly because Robin got introduced like a year or so later. Mm-hmm. Batman lightens up really quickly and stays light until basically after the TV series is finished, like, and then late 60s goes into 70s. Early 70s Batman goes serious again. And then even then, 70s Batman is different from 80s Batman, is different from 90s Batman. Mm. Sometimes Batman is like, you know terrifyingly powerful in terms of like okay he doesn't have superpowers but he can still basically do anything sometimes he's in space you know sometimes he's incredibly grounded and is a detective it's like there are there are different versions of batman and yeah like i would love to see into the batverse with yeah. all those different versions just feel like i can need to together. trademark some of this stuff <laughs> do it get it down yeah i think i'll trademark At the very batman. least <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one, no one's done Batverse, so you know. I'll just write it, but I'll call it like I don't know. It won't be Batverse. I'll get, I'll make it just close enough that I can't be sued. <laughs> I've just googled it, and you are not the first person to think of it. Oh, what? <laughs> uh, even on on fanfiction.fandom.com. Uh, there is uh, someone's written like, uh, okay, let's go through this one more time. My name is Batman, and you know the rest. Like, oh, God. but I bet in that version they all have sex with each other, as, as happens <laughs> with most. I mean, fan could fiction. you? <laughs> could you? Could you do a, a Harry Spock like into the Batverse special? I should. No, I that's a really that good be. idea. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I just literally just let get get everyone like on it to like do a different. Here's their. Yeah, Universe Batman and you all of, get a different Batman. And you have to write. That's a great yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is good. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna steal ideas <laughs> from you guys, and they will all probably be better than Batman and Robin. Yes. Yeah. So it is bad, but it's not the worst. Uh, do you have any any other closing comments on it? Um, I guess I would recommend. It's probably a good film to watch if you're like hungover. <laughs> You're with someone with a good sense of humour and you want to watch something dumb and uh, laugh about it. Don't watch it on your own. Yeah, I watched it on you're my sad. own. <laughs> I watched it on my own and I can thoroughly recommend not doing that. But, you yeah. <laughs> but just like, you know, if, you, if you're having a bad time, don't watch it. Um, I think you've got to be in a really good headspace for it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which right now, like maybe right now is not the time for Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you can see friends again, get some friends over and watch it that way. That's the first yeah. thing you do when you get out of lockdown. You're like, guys, I know it's weird. <laughs> Everyone's just going to have <laughs> Batman my house. and Robin parties. going to watch Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah. That's just what I want to do, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, thank you very much, Ellen, for joining us. Um, I hope you enjoyed that cathartic I experience. Loved it. Thank <laughs> you for having me. If you come back, we'll try and get an actually good film. Yeah, but see if there's any good films left that we can actually get you to cover as well. <laughs> <You're> awesome. <laughs> it's, it's the flip side of the experience. Um, whereabouts can people find you and your stuff and all uh, the various things that you, you do? You can find me on Twitter at Ellen Starbuck um, and Instagram at Ellen Starbuck uh, and also Dear Harry is just slash... Dear Harry Spock, after everything on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Brilliant. Uh, thanks to everyone who's listened as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more and subscribe on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, Stitcher, or your <laughs> podcast app of choice, if it somehow isn't one of those. Uh, you can also find everything we do at cinematicuniverse.com. You can buy our merchandise at cinematicu.redbubble.com. And if you want to get in touch, the best way is on Twitter at cine underscore verse or with an email to podcast at cinematicuniverse.com. If you want to support the show even further, you can back us on Patreon. That will get you ad-free access to the episodes, as well as bonus material, including James's X-Men 92 episode reviews. Where are you up to now, James? Uh, towards the end of season two now. Still enjoying it? Yeah, although I've discovered Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I keep having to... Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why they've slowed down. <laughs> uh, well, you get those when they come along. Uh, our live stream movie watch-alongs, uh, we, we, we'll... we'll, we'll try and do another one at some point but i think there was a little bit of fatigue particularly uh, <laughs> just like <laughs> it's mainly the suggestion that we might rewatch age of ultron yeah <laughs> uh or or justice league i'd tell you what when i mean when 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 that thing that won't be named comes out maybe we'll we'll have to do it then but we'll save that for the next minute so yeah. anyway all of that stuff bonus episodes and stuff is all on patreon thanks to regular top backer brendan roberts and everybody else who's backed us up to this point there weren't any new ones this time james very sad. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> the wheels have finally come off. They have, because you've stopped doing the X-Men <laughs> uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.